0: The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are our own or those of our guests, and in no way represent the views of the companies, associations, or organizations that any of us may work for or represent. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they were told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Identity. You're listening to Squawk Eye an aviation podcast that explores the many pathways to an aviation profession, the challenges that a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony, a professional airline pilot currently flying for a U.S. legacy airline with close to 20 years on the flight line. Welcome aboard Flight 112 of the Squawk Eye podcast recorded on the 16th of June, 2022, from the mobile aviator sound studios from high atop the sixth floor of the Royal Sinesta Hotel in Miami, Florida. On today's flight, we are fortunate to be joined by Captain Roger, Rob D., and Alex D. Together, we will catch up with the crew and hear about Captain Roger's recent global adventure. We also catch up with Rob D. and his latest fishing adventure in Canada. Alex D. updates us on his initial ground school progress at Sandpiper Airlines, and I share a recent experience conducting an honor flight that brought home one of our fallen soldiers. We explore a topic that everyone in the airline industry has been talking about recently, the temporary industry-changing pilot pay scale at American Airlines' wholly owned regional carriers. So stay with us as we run our final checks and prepare to push back from the gate. Flight 112 of the Squawk Ident podcast is officially underway. Before we depart, We want to take this opportunity to thank Captain Keith Walsinger for joining us on Flight 111. We look forward to hearing more about your adventure again soon. Joining us today is an exceptional aviator and squawk IDEN co-host. He is a professional CFI, I and MEI flight instructor, a former Embraer 145 airline pilot, a King Air instructor, a Dassault Falcon 900 EZ and 2000 pilot, and a Gulfstream 650 (coughs) commander as well. He is a captain, director of flight operations, and corporate operator. He joins us mid-recovery from his two-week-long trip that had him operating into and out of Mexico, France, Turkey, and Italy, just to name a few of his stopovers. Yet he is still out on the flight line flying. From Rock Hill, South Carolina, please help us in welcoming back to the show, Captain Robert. <laughs> captain, how you doing?
1: I'm doing okay, Tony. It's, um... I, you know, it's funny. No one's gonna know this, but this was actually the second take of this. <laughs> the first time, the first, first time I was off, and I beat and, and I got in just in time to hear my intro going, so I knew it was me. And this time, I had another phone call, and I literally just got off the phone like three seconds, about three seconds before before he finished my whatever it is he said because I didn't hear it.
0: Well, you're you're a consummate professional, my friend. <laughs>
1: I'm at something. I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure what's happening right now anymore. I'm not sure where I am. I think I think we established that kind of over the break that I'm in the Carolinas, but um,
0: Oh god. It, you know, you're not a, the only it's one. been a trip.
1: For the <laughs> I don't know.
0: How long you've been When did you start that uh, international trip? That was a couple weeks ago. May 20th. May 20th. So you uh, you've pretty much been flying with with the exception of a few days at home to kind of remind yourself what your family looks like. You've been flying pretty much since May 20th.
1: Yeah. I, I had a few days off, and then, you know, we actually had a maintenance thing that I had to move a plane, um, which moved a plane to L.A., which kind of turns into a day-long process. You know, flying to L.A. from San Diego is short. Yeah. Getting back to San Diego on the ground is not. Um, and then this trip came up, which I was not supposed to be on this trip. Um <laughs> But things happen, and so here I am. Well, I, I, I yeah. We'll just kind of call it check airman responsibilities, if you will.
0: Yeah, well, uh, when you don't have the pilots, you have to step in, right?
1: Well, it's not that we didn't have the pilots. It was that something happened and that, you know, maybe we're not going to send pilot, the other pilot with this guy. We're going to send somebody else, and that somebody else really is only me.
2: Okay. The do not pair list yeah
1: yeah
0: except the client was saying, Do not and really, <laughs>
1: it, it it's more kind of it wasn't that the client said it, it was more of an optics thing yeah um, it was it it really what it came down to is it was more of an optics thing. It really wasn't totally right. the pilot um, but to make it look better, um, we sent a more experienced person, which is me
0: right. <laughs> Right. And and you know we kind of see but, this even in the in the industry in, in all the aspects. Uh part 135, part 91, part 121. Sometimes you just have to change things up, you know, send the pilot home for a couple of days, uh have a, have a little conversation. We used to call it the Ch- captain charm school when a captain had a little issue with one of the crew members and and you know the company or the union or some whoever was uh, leading that research would say, Hey, you know, uh, why don't you go home for a couple of days and, and come back to the schoolhouse. And we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, how to talk to people and, 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 you know, in your situation, it was a little different, but, um, there's always that. So uh, someone has to fill in. And unfortunately for you, that's you.
1: <laughs> yep. You know, in, in our case, it, it had to do with the landing. Um, I think it was a little unfair to the pilot, um, I guess to be, honest i mean it was a 300 foot overcast ceiling landing on a short strip and you know the passenger thought it was a hard landing but then it just so happened that it was the exact same pilot crew with the exact same client on the very next trip and something had to again from an optic standpoint something had to change except you know we can't send you know just a different rookie um with the with that with the same pilot so
0: yeah so the boss had to step in you know so to speak.
1: Well, that was pretty much me. I was like, well, there's only one <laughs> way to fix it, and so, okay. All right. Here I go again. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, thank you so much for joining us. I know uh, we're both on the East Coast right now. It's a little a little tiring, a little early for us, and, and yeah, I got in so late last night, I, I could have slept another five hours, but hey, <laughs> that's the life here of a podcaster, right? For you, yeah. A listener. <laughs> you see what we go through, Hopefully listener? Hopefully
1: there's more than five of you
0: out there. <laughs> we're here for you.
3: Hey, I've, I'm expanding our listener base. Okay. I'm, I'm getting more people in the schoolhouse to listen.
0: Oh, that's, that, that's, that's wonderful. awesome. Alex. That's wonderful. Thank you.
1: That's uncomfortable for me. I thought there was only like a couple people, but now I might. Yeah. Roger, I'm don't worry that
0: right. no one's listening to this, Roger. Don't worry.
1: Okay. No, there's at least,
3: there's at least 10 that I've gotten it so far that I keep expanding it out and more. So I'm going to need to start using my toes to count.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know, get those socks off those feet, man. Come on. Count, count using your toes. Cause you know us pilots, we're not good at math.
4: <laughs> yeah, you got to use all
2: available resources to count. So,
4: dispatch. <laughs> it What's backed this?
2: me up on this math. We had five, and we got two more coming. So, <laughs> oh, thirteen Robinsons. Yes. God okay.
0: help us. That's what I thought. <laughs> well, if I may.
1: You thought it was
4: fifty-two. <laughs> if you had five, you put hey, two. That's five and two. There you go. <laughs>
2: yeah
0: oh god
2: or like cheech and chong said if you have five and you take away two what do you have blood <laughs>
0: <laughs> jesus <laughs> well also joining us today is a superb aviator and squawk i and podcast co-host he is a former international professional racquetball champion a member of the 9g club an an and a an p and avionics rca aircraft commander a both skipper commercial drone operator and currently an airbus pilot for legacy airlines the name we use here on the show is an alias to our employer a u.s mainline carrier joining us fresh off his fishing expedition in the great outdoors of beautiful Nestor Falls, Ontario, Canada, where he spent seven days adopting a truly friendly disposition. Hey,
1: <laughs> did you adopt a despot?
0: A despot? <laughs> what? Help us in welcoming our very own Mr. Rob D. Rob, how you
2: doing? I am doing great. I, uh, I'm back from my trip. And I got to tell you guys, if you ever get a chance to go up into that area of Canada, Lake of the Woods is the name of the area too. Um, it is absolutely breathtaking. God's country is what we we dubbed it. The lake is beautiful. Um, Seaplanes, float planes flying around everywhere. Um, the, the scenery is just breathtaking. And uh, it was... It seemed what it seemed like it was going to be a long week, you know, seven days out in that area. And next thing you knew, you know, the last day was here and we were all like, you know, I could do another two to three more days up here. Wow. Um, the fish were, they were, they were huge. I mean, we were, we were catching them left and right. And we had a record year this year for muskie. Um, I don't know if you guys know, but muskie has been nicknamed the fish of 10,000 casts. Ah, uh, folklore says you know it takes about ten thousand casts to catch one of these fish. They're very, very um, picky at what they eat. Um they're very curious fish when when it comes to uh, you know bait and lures. So um you'll see them a lot. you'll actually you know re- uh, you know throw your your uh, spinner bait out there and and retrieve it back to the boat. and you'll actually watch the fish follow this thing all the way up to the boat, and you're like, Come on, bite bite this thing, bite it. And it'll just sit there and look at it like, wow, that looks like a lot of fun to play with. And then it'll just turn around and and swim away. So they're hard to catch, but we caught caught over 20 muskie this trip. Wow. And all the trips prior to this, which I've been on about 10 of them, we'll maybe catch six or seven. So just to put that in perspective, yeah. we, were just, we were just killing it. So it was awesome. Yeah. And then uh, we were catching a lot of walleye, which are really good eating fish. And, and of course, uh, plenty of northern pike. So great trip. I think we caught over 400 fish for the week in total between uh, the, the 11 guys that were there. Uh, plenty of beer was, uh, was had and uh, a lot of war stories being thrown around. There's a bunch of guys that I've been um, friends with for over 30 years. And um, we're all prior military. Actually, one guy's still serving in the uh, South Carolina Guard. Uh, we're all pilots for Southwest American Delta. Legacy. And, um,
0: legacy. Well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, So, so. You know, I, and, I, and we want to hear a little bit more about that, too, because I, I have some questions, sir. I have right. some questions. Right. I also want to get our third co-host who's joining us today in a very rare occasion where we have uh, more of us than usual. All of our schedules have actually worked out. This is actually <laughs> so amazing. Uh, joining us is another exceptional aviator and flight instructor. He is a U.S. Navy Chief Information Systems Technician and a First Officer at Sandpiper Regional, the alias to one of our legacy airlines' wholly owned regional airlines. Joining us from the second floor of the DoubleTree Hotel in Irving, Texas, where he's getting ready to demonstrate his superior simulator, simulator, simulate, simulator skills <laughs> later today. Help us and welcome back to the show, Mr. Alex Daigle.
3: Alex, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's actually nice to see. Uh the other two gentlemen on the show and, you know, get everybody here together.
0: Yeah. And you're, and we're going to hear all about, you know, your progress here in a bit. Um, any exciting events happen that you're like aha moments in your training since the last show?
3: Um, not really aha moments. It's just more everything started clicking in the, the, the PV or in the, um, CPT, uh, labs and everything's just starting to click more and more. Uh, so, and what nice, is uh, CPT
0: for the listeners out there?
3: Cockpit procedure trainer. Um, I'll get more into that when we, you know, go through this, but uh, everything started clicking the last like couple lessons. So, I've got my procedures validation today at one uh, central time.
0: Yeah. Oh, what? Uh, how many hours is that? Uh, Time zone is that central time? An hour behind me? I don't know. I can't figure this out. Math. <laughs> <Nah>. Math. <laughs> 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 little insight joke. if you don't well, let's start off the show today because uh, we have a lot to talk about and a lot to unpack, especially with uh, what everyone's talking about here with pay scales. And, and we're all looking at Alex going, you son of a beep. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, Roger, let's circle back to you. Now, your adventure, we, we got to hear uh, f- some audio feedback and see for those that uh, eventually will make it to the YouTube, so can see kind of what you're been going through with your, you know, round the world adventure, practically. Uh, how did that all come about and what was involved with it? I and mean, it's a lot of work for you.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a lot of work. Um, you know, it's a lot of fun too, but it is still a job and there's, there's work that, <laughs> that goes along with it. Um, the trip's been planned for quite a while. Um, we knew it was coming up and it was a trip to primarily Europe um specifically the the main focus of the trip was for the grand grand prix in monaco Mm -hmm. um so that was kind of our first stop and it turned out we we did add mexico we went down to cabo for a couple days because there was a wedding that they were going to right before the actual big trip and it just got rolled all into one so um you know it, it started out down in mexico and then we in order for to try and make everything worked, and mostly realistically mostly for for pilot safety uh we went to boston um and we were in boston for know, maybe 30 hours or so because the way that it worked out as i, I think i mentioned in one of my in one of the videos i'd sent in is that with the monaco grand prix that draws a lot of people and a lot of when with that a lot of private jet traffic to the surrounding airports and europe as it is is very picky and specific about arrivals and departures in their airspace and so we had a slot arrival time for around two in the afternoon in france and so what that meant was well you can't really change that and so how you know you got to back it up and figure out okay well when are we going to leave from the states to in order to make that time and with the time tip with the time difference um it just worked out that if we're gonna go to boston that's a 1 a.m departure and you can't change that so we the owner actually allowed us to go to boston like i say we were there for probably about I th- it was probably about 30 hours by the time all is said and done because we got into in the evening before and then we left the morning after um and so we flew you know, it was pretty amazing when you, we left at one in the morning and the sun came up really quick. Uh, by the time you fly north, it, you know, at the end of May and then fly yeah. east. Um, and then we flew, you know, we left at 1 a.m. and then flew for seven, it was about seven hours. Um, and it was two in the afternoon. And so we were there um, while, while they, while they had their trip. Um, the pilots we we went to Geneva for a couple days that was just we airlined up on you know kind of on easy jet Um, spent a couple days up there just because we could Um, then came back and again had a a slot time that we had to make in France Unfortunately, that one actually went okay and and we went over to Istanbul Istanbul is a crazy place it's not really crazy it's just um, the city is absolutely monstrous yeah, it's I think 18 million people, and when you're flying over it, you're I mean the sheer size. It's like you look around and there's you know 20 different downtowns, these sections of high rises everywhere, um, you know mosques everywhere with their with the minarets sticking up everywhere. It, it was um, it was definitely different. Yeah. Um, you know we went we stayed on the Europe side. We we went across the Bosphorus and we went to Asia and. So I stepped foot on both continents within span of, you know, 20 minutes. Um, did that a couple times. We were there for a couple days, and and then we went down to Sicily. Um, that kind of, you know, from a flying perspective, you know, I, I, I try to tell them, and I told you guys, like, these slots, I cannot emphasize enough how slots are important. I had it all set up, that, you know, before they wanted to leave it. I don't remember what it was, like two, I think two or something in the afternoon. Everything was set up. I mean, we're talking about set up three weeks in advance, set up. and We had our time, and then the morning of, one of the guys goes, can we leave early? I was like, well, how early? Because once you do that, there is, I mean, you've got about three or four different entities that you have to get to approve that.
2: Yeah, Roger, can I ask you a question about without... Absolutely. So these slots, when you set them up and you said two or three weeks in advance, can you go into a little more detail on how you do that? I mean, uh, you know, and all, all, I think all we're familiar with is, you know, you file a flight plan and you go. Um, you know, do you have to say, hey, I'm so-and-so, I want to come to your airport. You know, how does all this stuff work?
1: That's pretty much how, how it starts. You know, if you want to take the easier route... Um from a part, you know, kind of comparing it to a 121. You guys have an entire department. You guys have dispatch in this entire department that's going to do all this work for you. There kind of is or are entities that will do that for you. Um, they're, they're, they're just going to charge you, but basically you can kind of pawn off all this, all this on um on a third party that will help you do all of this. In my case, I kind of just do it on our own because you know, in the end. You know, even though I do fly for some rather wealthy people, um they get wealthy by saving money where they can, and you know from a fiduciary standpoint, if you will, because we spend a lot of their money um we try to save them money, and really it just ends up being more work for me. And yeah. like you said, it's pretty much you contact, you figure out who who the handling agent is at the airport that you're going to. Sometimes you don't have any options; it's just one. Sometimes there's a couple different options, um, and you and you start emailing them. And then you, I do this month in advance. You know, mm. one for instance, one the actual airport in Sicily that we wanted to go to. I found out right off the bat that you couldn't stay there for more than 48 hours because of whatever was going on, and so that forced a change in plans. But we're still two months in advance, so you get on with your with the handling or the FBO. It's what we call them kind of our handling agents for the airport that you're going to, and they're the ones that will then kind of facilitate everything for you um, for the ground. For flight plans, you know. We don't have. I do not have the capability to file flight plans internationally. I, only within North America, I use FlightPlan.com. We use FlightPlan.com. It's really easy. I can get on. If I wanted to go somewhere in 10 minutes from right now, I could. Oh, wow. In America, it's easy. It's 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 easy, and it's quite frankly, it's fantastic. Um, yeah. Jump in the airplane and go wherever you want to go. Um, we use uh, World Fuel. We do World Fuel fuel. Um, World Fuel also has a Um, international support division, which will file flight plans for you. So I've got to get the flight plan updated. And then I got the, got to get the handling FBO at the departure airport to let them know, to Mm -hmm. then talk to the airport, to change your time. And hope that that goes through. And once that goes through, then you got to go back to the arrival airport. Hey, I know we had a time and we've got a PPR a prior permission required number for, uh, for this time. Can I get that changed at the arrival airport? Um, And putting all that together to then move up a departure time by one hour, which is all that they wanted to do is kind of how this happened only to, as I was kind of tying into what I was saying in a town of 18 million people to then get a text from the passengers saying, the traffic is really bad, we're gonna be late. So now I've moved up a time with all these people with all these entities moved up the time to now have the passengers show up late to go through customs and immigration to miss the new time and then trying to talk to a Turkish air traffic controller where I can't, it's, you know, they speak English but sometimes with a thick accent and it's hard to understand, especially when you don't know what they're really talking about in terms of I'm still not sure what you want to know. <laughs> yeah. And, you, and so what happened is we eventually got in. We had missed our time by two minutes because we were supposed to leave at four after the hour. And it was, I think at 07. So maybe three minutes after, and we weren't, and so we couldn't go. So now I've got all the passengers on the airplane. And I have, and I'm not allowed to move. Wow. And she goes, you need to talk to your company. I'm like, well, okay, well, this, that's, this is what I remember. It's like, you need to talk to your company to get a new something. And I was like, I don't, I don't have a company. Like, I don't, it's just me. Who do I talk to? Well, talk to your company. I don't have it right, yeah, who's, te-
2: who's telling you this to, the air passenger? traffic controller Oh, no. atc The Turkish air,
1: tra- air traffic controller because i missed the time you missed your time you need to go get a new like and i still don't exactly know what she was saying and so eventually in a few, few phone calls later i called the handler and i called the flight world fuel for the flight plan to get a new flight plan and then magically all of a sudden I got an email from world fuel saying we just refiled your flight plan and the air traffic control of the tower should know you should be good to start your engines and go and lo and behold it actually worked but in the end what happened was we left later than our original time that than our original time they tried to move the time earlier in an hour earlier and we missed the original time that was an hour later because you it's just really hard to move things around like the the way that we take things for granted here in the states um, and when we got back we stayed oh we flew to atlanta and we were at dinner and the um, the lead passenger the owner asked well you know if we decide to leave we want to leave an hour earlier can we do that and i looked at him and said we can do whatever we want we're back in america you want to leave whenever you want we'll just right. go um it's just a completely different ball game from a um from an operations standpoint and it is a little you know because i haven't you know i've been over there a few times it's still kind of uncomfortable you know between the language barrier and you have to make these times and you're trying to uh, you know uh, coordinate an arrival time with the departure time and those two have to match um and you don't have any control over your flight plan because another company's doing it and then you're waiting for them to send you a flight plan. Um, wow. It's just, Dude, you know, it's stressful. just a lot different. It is. It, it yeah. is a cool thing to be able to do. You know, I've, I've been over to Europe a few times now. I it's, it's cool. It's something, you know, that a lot of people don't get to do and even as pilots don't get to do, but don't get me wrong. There is definitely, um, I, I can definitely see why flying for a 121 airline over there where you just get your, you know, your 20 piece paper dispatch packet and you do what, you know, your company tells you to do when you have these people built in is definitely beneficial um, when operating under so many different um, restrictions. Really. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And do you think that's the contributing factor to all of this uh, procedure that you have to jump through all these hoops? Is it, do you think because of there are so many different say air traffic control centers that you are contending with different language barriers or contending with, or do you think that it's just the technology available to all of these other countries with air traffic control that they just cannot handle the volume that you would see in North America?
1: I cannot answer that question for sure. Uh, If I had to guess, I would say it's probably a combination of several of them. Um, I would say that they probably do not have the the ability that we have in the States to handle the amount of volume that we do. And I also think that it has to do with the fact that countries over in Europe are the equivalent of States here in the United States. And you're dealing with a whole lot of different
2: government stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's inner, you are flying over multiple countries with multiple different and everybody, you know, like Rob was just kind of, you know, motioning, Each one's going to collect their money. I, I got an email from World Field for, I think it was Bulgaria. Hey, Bulgaria wants to know, you know, we didn't land in Bulgaria, but we overflew it. Bulgaria wants to know this, that, and the other because they're going to, yeah. you know, they're going to mail you.
4: Yeah, <laughs> they want to know where it.
1: to mail the check um, or mail the bill. Um, wow. but there's so many different entities because it's not just the U S FAA. That's one, that's one company that's doing everything that we when we fly domestically, whereas, you know, we flew over, I don't even know, 10, 12 different countries over the course of this trip. Um, and when you're flying over four or five different countries, I'm sure that, you know, each co- co- country government is going to have their kind of hand in that pot as well. Uh. Uh, um, that would be my guess, but like I said, I, could, I couldn't say for sure.
0: You know, it kind of puts into perspective uh, how when we, you and I and, and Rob as well, and, and I don't know if, Alex, you've ever dealt with this, but when we were flight instructors, we had so many foreign nationals coming to the States to build time to get their ratings, and they always said the same thing. We're coming here because it's cheaper to fly into our country and, and rent an apartment for six months to go through a program that costs, you know, a lot of money to fly in the States than it is to just fly in our own countries because of all of these regulations, all of these fees, the fee for departure. Yeah. we I don't think we've ever talked about fee for departure uh, the procedures on the podcast, but maybe that's something we can dive into in the future is that we don't really have that. I mean, unless you're landing a Cessna 172 at Chicago O'Hare or something where you're going to get a pretty big check, uh, or bill I should say um for landing there, It's landing fees. But for the most part, you can fly into thousands if not tens of thousands of airports around the country and never have to pay a penny to air traffic control facilities or airport facilities because we don't have fee for departures. We don't have uh, air traffic controlling fees like you're mentioning, you know, flying over countries and like you never didn't even landed there, but yeah, they handled you they handled you and they're going to send a bill to somebody. And people are rich if they can fly airplanes, so why not bill the rich? <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's a really interesting uh, procedure that you had to go through. I do not envy you, sir, because I'm sitting here complaining about yeah. my. I think there were some some meals.
2: airports in the United States that actually have a fee when you when you like. Yeah, take fees. your N number down. Like, yeah. Uh,
3: anyway. Well, there's a lot. Santa, of aer- Santa Monica's here. like that. Um, yeah. the Catalinas like that in, in the, the California region. And it's, it, there, there's some out there that are like that, but for the most part, Tony's right. You fly around this country and land anywhere. The only thing that yeah. you're paying for is fuel at the FBO yeah. to, to gas yourself back up. Yeah. You have
1: a so much bigger country that has so much more money through taxes that goes to support all of these airports versus, you know, the size of a state. I mean, you want to go fly around a state the size of Kansas with the gross domestic product of Kansas. They don't have the infrastructure or the tax dollars to support aviation the way that we do just because of sheer size. And sure. I think that that's probably where a lot of, you know, where a lot of it comes from. Yeah, um, I get it. And also yeah. for the paying the air traffic controllers, which maybe, you know, there's just fewer air traffic controllers possibly, which then will affect the amount of saturation within uh, within the system.
4: That I, space, yeah. Yeah. Well, but you know, that's just a
1: the theory. I, again, I, I, good did not stuff, say man. That
0: yeah. And, and again, I just want to say thank you for sending us those video uh, feedback. I know uh, you were getting up really early before the crowds <laughs> to, to do that. And, there uh, was...
1: and I want to apologize for that one. You know, I told Tony about the one I think, uh, the one in uh, Nice, I think. I woke up ridiculously early because I, I hadn't really acclimated yet. I literally, I couldn't talk. I knew what I kind of wanted to say, but there were multiple times where I just, you know, Go golf stream. Got
3: Your circadian gold, rhythm was jacked stream. up. Yeah. Oh,
1: it was horrible. And then I got back and then I couldn't sleep past two in the morning. Yeah. I'm dead tired. I'm falling over at eight o'clock at night and I pass out and I wake up at two and I'm just looking yeah, around in the pitch dark.
2: I hate that feeling, man. Yeah. That sucks.
0: Yeah, we were talking about that uh, you know earlier in the week. How You know, we deal with red eyes and things like that, and we're like, you know, spent for a day, but we're still out there, you know, taking care of the chores, but we just, we're dragging. And here you are, you're, you're in different, what we call theaters. Um, The FA, under part FAR 117 says, you know, if you're outside of theater or in theater, there's different rest periods for acclimation um and you were in multiple theaters on this trip and it and we text back and forth and you were saying yeah it's been a couple days i'm still not i'm still not up to par and then you went right back out and start flying domestically
1: yeah <laughs> i got so it was, i got i did get a kick i think i was in istanbul and you were in hawaii at the time and just doing the math and i was like so i guess you're 13 I'm 13 hours ahead of you, and then I was thinking about, was like, or that that's that's actually shorter to go the other way. You're like 11 hours, but then on the international date line, and I thought I kind of got a kick out of that because you flew west and I was so far east, like yeah. literally on the opposite ends, except you know 13 hour or 11 hour difference. Just a quick side note that I got a kick out of.
0: Yeah, and 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 we all know how good I am at math. <laughs> Recently, uh, we were trying yeah,
1: to. I just. <laughs> Gonna let that go <laughs> we we're trying
0: we were trying to uh, iron out yesterday uh, what time we were gonna start today. I'm like, so what time is that Eastern time versus central time versus uh <laughs> I was just I, I was pretty
2: spent, but hey we are pilots, dude. we should all just use Zulu time and it'll be much easier to figure it out. <laughs> well, I, I have a little a
3: little so dial I got, on my I got watch an
1: apple like, yeah. oh yeah I, I, uh, I guess I should probably take that call. I got a Waffle Watch. One of the best things about it uh, gives me Zulu time all the time. Uh, yep,
3: That's good. Yep. Love it. Yep.
0: Well, Rob, <laughs> you know, I wanted to, to kind of dive a little bit further into your adventure. Um, I Sure. I know you had your big birthday celebration. Uh, we talked about oh, that a yeah. little bit. I forgot um, about that. Yeah. So <laughs> kind of out of the blue, it was a big surprise birthday party that your family
2: threw for you. How, how cool was that? That was awesome. Uh, my wife threw me a fiftieth birthday uh, surprise birthday party, and I got to tell you, I was stone cold shock surprise. I mean, it was way out of the blue. I leading up to the, you know, to my birthday, my wife's asking me, oh, you know, you want to have some friends over, you know, what do you want to do? You want to go out to dinner? And every time I'm like, no, babe, you know, I, I just want to celebrate with you guys. You know, have it maybe go out to dinner. And, you know, I don't want to make it a big deal. Uh, but my wife is way into like birthdays and anniversaries and all that stuff. So she has to go, you know, all out. And uh, so, so the day, the day was, uh was, was kind of, for me, it was just like, you know, it was another day. Uh We had planned to go out on our boat with the, with the family and, and, um, just kind of hang out and, uh, and then do, do a lunch at one of the local restaurants on the lake. And, uh, the weather kind of turned crappy. So I told her, I was like, you know what? I don't think it's a good idea to go out on the boat cause it's going to be cool. And, and so that kind of put a little kink in her plans. Cause her plan was actually while we're on the boat, we were to pull up to this uh, restaurant and then that that's how the surprise would happen. Mm. So, you know, I could, I could see her, you know, I, her, and, and thinking back to the whole thing, I could see her wheels spinning like, oh crap, how the hell are we going to make, make this happen now? Um, Cause now we're, not, <laughs> now we're not going out on the boat. And then last minute, you know, I was thinking, well, you know, even though we don't go out on the boat with the family, it's a good idea. It's a good opportunity to go fishing with a good friend of mine which, uh, my fishing buddy. So I was like, well, we're not going to go on a boat, but I'm going to go fishing. So then she was like, ah, ah shit, you know, now how are we going to make this happen? So thankfully my buddy was in on the whole surprise anyway. So a few quick, you know, texts between, uh, my buddy and my wife, which, you know, obviously I didn't know about, um, it ended up, you know, my wife's like, okay, go ahead, go fishing, you know, have a good time, which usually she's like, what time are you going to be back? Right. <laughs> so, uh, Yeah, we went out fishing and at about three o'clock, my buddy's like, dude, let's go, let's go to the restaurant and grab something to eat. I'm hungry. I'm like, all right, sounds good. So we start cruising into the uh, restaurant and we pull up to the restaurant on his boat, tie up. And I look inside and it looks like, you know, they're set up for a birthday party or something like that. But just because of the lighting and everything, you couldn't tell it was for me. It just looked like somebody was having a birthday party in there. So I walked into the place and there was like, I guess, 30 of my close friends from the area, you know, all surprise. I was like, holy mackerel, (laughs) is this one for me? (laughs) So that was really special. And and, uh, we we uh, we had a great time. My wife did a great job. We actually had a surprise. puerto rican style mariachi band show up too so that was kind of the second surprise yeah and that was that that was the highlight of of the uh you know of the party i mean everybody just got into it these guys are great you know it's it's a it's uh it's puerto rican music uh you know the the it's kind of they have all their instruments there and they sing and they dance and they and they really really engage the crowd so within like five minutes of them being there not only was everybody in my group uh, at my party just you know dancing and having a good time there were people that were just not part of the the birthday party who were just you know having fun uh having you know food and drinks at the restaurant they all started to join in and next thing you know this, this band was, was, you know, doing business with the other groups so that they can, you know, set, schedule parties and stuff like that. So oh great. Um, anyway, long story short, that was really awesome. It was a great surprise and a job well done on my wife and everybody involved.
0: Yeah, I remember. And you text me from the party or like, check it out. And, and then your wife was posting pictures yeah. on social. And I was like, wow, <laughs> that's so cool. I had no idea. It was, oh, it was, it was really nice. Um, yeah. yeah, You got to keep her
2: there, bro. You got to keep her uh yeah it was crazy and the the funny thing about this whole thing and and you know internally here in my household is that i suck at planning surprise parties you know Mm -hmm. i just don't have that kind of a you know foresight or or gene in my body that can do that kind of stuff so i have to enlist all the help of my friends to hey let's let's do this i just don't know what i need to do just you know, you guys set it up and, you know, if you need to buy anything, just send me the bill and I'll pay you back or whatever. Yeah. And uh, anyway, yeah, yeah, she does it a lot better than I do.
0: Yeah. And so this this fishing trip, was it related to this or is it something yeah. that you
2: do every year anyway? No. So this fishing trip was a uh, trip that I have been going on for the last 20 years or so. Um, it's me and a group of my closest friends that um, I've known since uh, I was a teenager right out of high school. Uh, we all have, uh, joined the military and, um, they all became pilots. So whether it's most of them are fighter pilots, F-16s and one of them flew C-17s, which was Mark Furman, Colonel Mark Furman. You actually interviewed him on one of the uh, previous episodes. So, um, uh, yeah, so we all have been going on this fishing trip, um, for the past 20 years or so. And, um, uh we go up to Canada, the same place, Nestor Falls, every every year and stay at the same lodge. Um we've known the owner of the lodge for the last 20 years, and so you know, we show up and it's like, hey, there's your boats, you know, here's your cabins. We'll see you at the end of the week, you know, that kind of thing. So uh we go up there and we we catch fish, uh muskies, northern. Walleye, eh, perch here and there, a lot of smallmouth bass do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it's um it's a trip of of a lifetime, and we, we something that a special bond, you know, we call it the band of brothers. Uh we've been we've been close friends for 20, you know, over 30 years. Uh we've all been to each other's weddings, we've all been to each other's retirements and anniversaries and all the special occasions and uh, you know, we have a group text message going that we've been, uh, it's the same text message group we've had for <laughs> forever, you know, since cell phones were invented. So, um, special guys. I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of unique, you know, cause you know, how many people have 10 or 11 guys that you're, you know, been buds with for forever and do stuff like this and then be, be able to be, you know, go through your career all together in life. And, um, we're all ended up at, an, at a legacy of carrier right now mm-hmm. and to be able to get the same time off, you know, and, and make the trip up to that area. And we, we plan it two years in advance. So we just got done with our trip now. And we all said two years from now, put it in your calendar. We actually put our deposits down on the cabin um, oh, wow. so that they hold a space then. So, you know, we're already locked in. So two years from now, we're going to be going up there again and, and doing it again. But, you know the logistics of that with family life with you know working for the airlines and pbs and trip trading and dropping and you know graduations and you know yeah. everything it's it's pretty amazing that we could pull it all together um and get up there and then once we're there it's just it's awesome you know these guys are super cool guys great personalities there's never an argument in in the cabin at all we're all just Telling jokes and stories, and you know, reliving some moments, special moments between us, and and laughing and crying, and it's just, it's just a great time. I mean, that's why we do it because it's it's awesome. And what an
0: opportunity! I mean, that's like,
2: oh, it's awesome.
0: You know, if you uh, weren't already into writing, Rob, I think uh, maybe some screenwriting (laughs) classes because that is. Uh, Hollywood hit movie yeah. right there I'm sure yeah. some of the stories that uh, have been shared over the years could definitely yeah. be
2: entertaining <laughs> yeah it's fun it's it's so entertaining I mean you know I, I invited two friends of mine that weren't military and so we all they went up and they had never met actually one guy had met these guys before but one of the other guys um, who works for a uh, legacy legacy uh, airlines with us uh He's never met my buddies before, but I knew he'd be a perfect fit because I've socialized with him and, and, and enjoyed some good times with him. And I said, you know what? I know you like to fish. You got a great personality. I think you'll you'll fit right in with the, you know, the, the you know, the culture that we have up there with my buddies. Uh, why don't you come on up on this trip? So he was kind of reluctant. And um, he he uh, he's like, man, that's a week long trip away. And I was like, dude, believe me, it's going to be totally worth it so he got up there and he started you know he's sitting and listening to all the stories and after like the first or second day he's telling me god you know your friends are so fun they're so cool these are great guys you know i'm like yeah dude i mean i i'm just happy to be a part of it you know i mean i i just you know i'm just honored just to be amongst them you know and um the stories he was telling he's like god you know these guys i, I I really I really want to hear that story again on how this guy got his call sign for you know flying fighters in the, in the air force and stuff like that and uh some of these stories are great and, and and you know I could just go on and on and on man this is uh it's just such a wonderful group of guys that we have there
0: yeah and and I can when I hear you talking about it it really it warms my heart because to have a family and a and a spouse that goes out of her way to celebrate something so momentous for you, uh, and then to have a group of friends that you have been in a, that tight group for so many years, for so many decades, and it just, it's inspiring. You know, I, I aspire to, to have that, to, you know, mm. to, to develop that, and, and it's work. You, you know, you can't yeah, just be flaky it sure and, you know, it, it really is work. You're planning two years in advance. I mean, that's saying something. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, the yeah. photos that and you've shared. Done. I'll put some pictures up on the website uh, once this posts uh, to the next podcast. But All the right. photos were just, like, right out of uh, Field and Stream magazine, <laughs> man. I'm like,
2: damn, look at this guy. <laughs> and the crazy thing is the photos don't do it any justice. It, it's yeah. just – I could, I could just keep talking about it, but like the, I, I got to share this story. So real quick, um, we got out on the lake super early, Oh, super early to us is like nine o'clock in the morning. Cause we've been up drinking all night. But anyway, we got out on the lake super early. The weather is perfect. It's about 60 degrees at that time. The there's zero wind. The lake is glass as far as the eye can see. And you're on these boats. And they're really low to the water, you know, really low to the surface of the water. And about this time of year, and I forget, I forget what they're called, but they're, they're, uh, I think I, I call them cottontails. They're the little grassy things that stick up out of the water and they have like these cotton balls at the top. Mm -hmm. Well, this time of year, when the wind blows, the, those cottontails just go airborne and they're everywhere. And of course, when when it stops blowing, the wind stops blowing, these cottontails settle down onto the water. Well, there's so many of them that it makes like a a glass, uh, it looks like snow on the lake. I mean, the lake is completely covered with these cottontail, cotton balls, all the way across the lake and there's no waves. So when you look, it looks like you're on a sheet of ice or a sheet of snow as you're cruising across the lake. And it is just, it's the coolest visual optical thing you could you could ever see. And then the funny thing is, is when it starts, when the wind starts blowing again, all these cotton balls that are haven't blown off or whatever are airborne. So it looks like it's snowing all the time. Like these things are just they're everywhere. And and probably the one annoying thing about it is that eventually they'll end up in your face and your mouth or your hair, you know, and you're like, yeah. You know, it's trying to slap away you think they're they're one of the 50 million mosquitoes that are up there too that's probably oh, the downside boy. of being up there yeah but every you know every every you know second or so you think there's something on you you know you're like slapping it away you think it's a mosquito but it's these really it's these cotton balls that are just you know yeah. and but that that's how many of them are out there um so it's uh it's pretty cool i get excited talking about it because it's it's so cool anyway Let's yeah. press on. I could go on and on about
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's really cool. And, and if you have a photo of that, please share it with me. I'd, I'd love I'll to try see it. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Alex, let's, let's get to your training. You're in the thick of it getting ready. Are you getting nervous or excited or what?
3: Uh, it's more, more, I don't know. It, it there's not really like excitement and not really getting nervous. It's just kind of like, all right, let's get it done. Like, let's move on to the next thing. And let's, let's knock that out. You know, it's kind of almost in a way military regimented, right? Where you go and you follow the certain schedule and you just get to the certain points and you're like, okay, cool. I've done what I need to do. Let's move on to the next thing. I've done what I need to do. Let's move on to the next thing. And that's kind of where I feel I'm at right now is um, we got through all of the ground courses, uh, finished CPTs, cockpit procedure trainers yesterday. Um, kind of got a semi-brief on what today is going to be like for the procedures validation. Uh, the procedures validation is what they call in the AQP program, your first gate. Mm. Um, there's like several gates that you need to get through to, to to move on. And this is the first big one. This is where, you know, you, you basically uh, put your money where your mouth is on your your flows and your procedures and getting you to basically take the Airplane, if you will, um, from a gate up in the air, back down to the the ground, and back to a gate, just like you would in the real world. Except you're sitting, you know, not in front of a paper tiger, but in front of a touchscreen computer, um, and you know, flying it. Uh, Rob was on the 175, so he probably remembers those procedure trainers, and they're pretty technologically advanced. I mean, they're pretty pretty smart it's basically depending on which which one you get it's the full cockpit with buttons and switches that that work you know um and it's got uh, the the fms box that works that you can you know punch in all your information uh it's got the uh throttle quadrants some of them actually have legit levers that you can move up and down mine unfortunately doesn't mine i have to use my my finger my finger to pull back the throttles and move them forward but i mean first world problems on that right Mm -hmm. but uh so yeah no that's where i'm at is i'm i'm ready for today i've got my procedures validation today at uh one is what time we're meeting with the instructor normally my my slot is six o'clock in the evening to ten o'clock in the evening but the uh the check instructor texts me and my uh partner like hey you guys want to move it up early. You guys want to meet about one today, and we're both like, yeah, sure, that's fine. Let's get it over with. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, a great opportunity uh to go through these procedure trainers, the way you have with the technology improving so much to where I mean, it's so realistic. You're not really using your imagination like what we used to do at the beginning of our careers when <laughs> we first started out on the flight line here at a 120 yeah. carrier. Um and and it really sounds like you've got a good grasp of the training. Uh, maybe that's because you've had that military background. You've gone through these regimented training cycles before in, in a different capacity. Is there any part of the training so far that has given you a little bit more trouble than others?
3: Uh, it's really, so in the beginning of NDOC, uh the AQP program manager comes in like, Day one, like after you pick your 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 base and equipment, and he's like, "All right, everybody who's in here, listen up! Like, you guys have access, or will have access, once you get your iPads to everything you need to pass this course. Mm-hmm. Start studying now. Yeah. And if you keep up with that, like, if you make your your flashcards, uh, you know, if you make your flashcards, I know it's kind of going. If you make your flashcards of limitations and flows and profiles and call outs, if you're in a study group, you know, if you're reading the, the, the gouges that you get, and trust me when I say, if you hang out in that study room downstairs here at the, at, the, at the Doubletree, if you hang out in that study room for, I don't know, an hour at any given point in the evening during normal, normal operations, you will get a thousand different gouges. Like people are just spreading them, uh, around, you know, it, it's cause the, the people who are in my situation now where I'm at in the procedure trainers and going to the PV, we were two weeks ago sitting in systems or sitting in, in, uh, specials going, Oh, I don't know what to do. And, you know, I don't know what to study. and I don't, I don't know anything what's going on. And people in front of you are going, Hey, this is what I have. Start looking at this. Yeah. And now we're doing that same thing back to the people who are going through and doc and going through specials and going through all that. Like, hey, this is what you guys need to study. Hey, this is, here's some gouges that helped me. And it's literally this perpetual, never ending cycle of someone gets it here, passes it back to the next group, and then they pass it back to the next group and so on and so on. And like between my, my iPad, my company iPad and my, my iPhone, I got probably about 30, Five different study techniques and gouges and guides and you know it's just what it is and if you but the big thing with that is you gotta you gotta kind of like quiet the noise on some of that and find which guide and gouge is going to work best for you right because there's so many i was
2: i was gonna add to that i I always thought that those gouges are awesome because it kind of gets you in the right direction as far as the information you need to know to pass the training course, but I also tell guys you need to open up the actual book itself and find mm-hmm. the information because not only is it gonna show you, you know, train you on how to use the 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 you know the iPad and all the the, the books that are in the iPad, but um, it you get you get all the up to date information that's in the books because well, sometimes those those gauges change you know here and there and. I, in, you know, I don't know. It, it doesn't really make that big of a difference, but you're current on the procedures. And you, next thing you know, you're, you're seeing things in there that are not in those gouges that you're like, Oh, Oh, that's how we do it. Or, mm-hmm. you know what I mean?
3: well it, and, and to, to go off of Rob's point, he's right. Like the study guides or gouges or whatever you're getting is good because they'll give you like the, 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 the abbreviated flow, right? Like yeah. ICAS checked. Well, what am I what checking, checking on checking? the ICAS? Yeah yeah you know and you go into to to the AOM and you read the expanded flows and you're sitting there oh i'm looking for no abnormal messages no ab- amber messages and the 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 messages that are there are normal for this co- current conditions of for this flight oh okay yeah that makes sense now i understand what i'm checking
0: yeah 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 and That's it's important it. to kind of uh, go through the official uh, documentation the official stuff because once you're done with training, those gouges get put away in a folder. They they don't you're never gonna look at them again until yeah. maybe recurrent comes up again, then you wanna refresh. But you put those things away. Now you're out on the flight line. There's been seventeen updates or revisions since you went through training. And now yep. you're like, Oh wait, where do I find that? And now you're spending thirty minutes trying to find where, which manual, which section this particular topic is is in and you can't find it and it's frustrating and then you go ask the yeah. pilot next to you hey, where do i find this and they're like oh i can't find it either you know so so it's important yeah. to to not just retain the knowledge that you need and follow the right path so you don't so you quiet the noise as as alex is mm. saying but it's important also to know where to get the information so if you're constantly going okay well the gaucho says this like you said alex and then go uh, to the expanded version in the AOM and go. Oh, okay, this is where how I get there quickly. It's through this menu, yeah. um, and I often find that newer hires, first officers, usually know where to find particular things better than captains. That when they started out, they had physical books and paper with yeah. all their little post-it notes, and that's, that's all gone. And so now, when they have to find stuff, they're sitting there going, "How do you turn this?" dang efb on i can't remember my lock screen <laughs> password oh well, how do you update this thing
3: and and meanwhile the phone's like it's oh funny. it's right here ba, ba, ba. that was my dad <laughs> <laughs> when, when they made the switch over he yeah. just looked you know when they made going into like something in there and something would come up and they need to pull up the qrh he just looked over his you know phone and be like Hey, am I looking that up for me? <laughs> 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 that's funny. You know, but um, they, they taught us like in, in the classes to like, you know, hey, create bookmarks, you know, and, and that's a big thing is if you're in the a I have in my QRH already, I have the, the, the performance charts in the back of the QRH for the 170 and the 175 bookmarked, so that if I need to look up holding speeds, oh, okay, I just go to my bookmark. Oh, 175 holding speeds. There it is. You know, yeah. uh, I have stuff bookmarked, like the the PAs that we have to make the the, the script. And mm-hmm. guess where it is? It's in the FOM, and it's you know exactly what you need to say. So why not have those things bookmarked? Why not have the things that you know you're probably going to need to look up at some point while you're flying mm-hmm. bookmarked?
0: Yeah, yeah. And for those scripts, like the the mandatory PAs and anything that you as a as a first officer we'll have to say that maybe you're not accustomed to saying you've never said them before. Sit there in the mirror in the bathroom, in your hotel room or in your home and read them to yourself until you're confident. Because if you mm-hmm. don't, what's going to happen is, uh, la- la- ladies and gentlemen, please remain see- seated in- in- until the cat, you know? And so if you practice a little bit, it's like, ladies and gentlemen, please remain seated with your <laughs> seatbelts. securely so fastened about you until the captain turns off, the whatever script it is, you know, um, practice it. It really does help. I know it's kind of dorky, and you kind of feel stupid doing it. But hey, who's gonna who's gonna judge you if you're in the privacy of your own place? You know, um, until you get to the confidence level that you need, and then when you're out on the flight line, it's like, yeah, no big deal. Let me just read
3: this for right. you, Captain. <laughs> well, for, for those PAS and stuff, it's it's no different than when you were a student pilot and being on the radio for the first time. You know, and, uh, Riverside Tower, ground uh, Cessna one, two, three, four with, uh, with, uh, information whiskey, you know, like it's the same thing. Once yeah. you, once you get it, and once you kind of practice it, it becomes more natural. And, and in the schoolhouse, those PAs, they make us do it in, in the procedure trader.
4: Mm. Yeah.
3: You know, cause it's, it's a part of your flow for, you know, uh, God, what flow is it a part of? It's the taxi flow. Uh, for going out to the, you know, out to the runway after we get our our second engine started, and we're you know taxiing out and everything's good. It's the the four T's, you know, and one of those four T's is the last one is talk. Talk to the passengers, ladies and gentlemen. We we're retarding in just a few moments. Will the fly, flight attendants please prepare for departure? Wow! Or takeoff, whatever it is. Wow! Dude, right? Wow! So like, <laughs> you said that <laughs> great. It if you keep practicing it. You know, it starts to come at second nature, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I used so, to always
0: channel Christopher Walken on that one. Ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, please come on!
1: Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, <But>, yeah, <laughs> you know, it,
3: tra- training's going good. Uh, and to go back to your question, is there any part that I'm really nervous about? I mean, not really, because like you know, going it's like going into a check ride or or today's if you want to call it like a stage check for your your you know your
4: 141
3: yeah you know am i am i ready for it yeah apparently i am you know they signed me off for it so if the instructor last night didn't think i was ready then i wouldn't feel ready right you know and and talking about what what was on it they obviously can't give us the gouge you know because that would be wrong to give us the gouge of what you know what it's actually going to be like the actual documentation, but he talked about it. He's like, Hey, this is what you're you know, going to expect tomorrow. Yep. Like you're going to take off. You're going to have, you know, you're going to fly, you know, a normal departure, you're, you know, it's going to be a normal pushback, normal taxi out, normal departure, yeah. um, while you're on the, the departure, you're going to get a reroute, you know, you're going to hold, you're going to have to calculate bingo fuel, you know, all these things that we've been doing in, in the CPTs, it, it, that's what it is.
0: Yeah. The big, I think, the biggest thing on those is, you know, they're just gonna, they're gonna want to see you do what we call it, legacy triggers and flows. You know, if mm-hmm. if you, there's something that happens that triggers you to do something, a flow or a checklist or a procedure, make sure you do that. And uh, at this stage in the game, they're not gonna throw any curveballs at you, I don't think. But um, like, if their ATC is talking to you, that's usually right at a trigger, because they're trying to see nope. if you will. Be baited into the distraction. Um, and another thing is, use your hands. Like, even though you're in the simulator, if you're supposed to be checking the AML, first thing you do before you power up, uh, vocalize it and move your hands to where the, the AML is. They love that. They love it. Okay, I'm Can checking the AML. Guess, guess, guess
3: what we have? We have
0: an AML. Oh, in the AML. nice, perfect. So pick it up. <laughs> yeah. Say I checked it. You know, you don't have to go there like line for line, but you, you know, oh, I checked it and I kept checking. And then on the on the distraction, hey, we got a reroute. Device ready to copy. Here's the one thing you're going to remember for the rest of your career. Who's flying the airplane? Mm-hmm. So if you're supposed to be flying the airplane and now they're giving you a reroute. Uh, make it clear to the other pilot who's flying the airplane. If you it's you, it's like, okay, I'll fly the airplane. You get the reroute. And then if now you have to verify the reroute, positive exchange of controls. That's the main thing they want to see. Don't just go start programming it in the box because you think, well, the autopilot's on. We're level flight. We're cruise. No, they want to say, okay, um, are you all set up? Did you get it in there? Yes. Okay, uh, your aircraft, my radios, I'm going to verify this approach. And so you're, now your head's down. And the other pilot is now pilot flying. You're now pilot monitoring. Your head's down. It shouldn't take you 30 minutes to verify everything. You should just, they've done it. You're just checking to make sure that they didn't miss anything. There are no, you know, opens uh, in the flight plan or like wrong fix or something. So, okay, great. Everything looks good. That's a good time to brief it, right? Brief the approach, brief the arrival, because, again, you're not flying. You're, you're going to fly it. but And then you go, okay, uh, any other questions? No? Okay my your radios and positive exchange of controls again and guess what's happening when the, your sim instructor feels like okay this they, they know what they're doing um they're going to talk to you like as if they're atc it doesn't maintain five thousand and so now you're like oh quick okay i guess he's heard enough so <laughs> okay positive exchange of controls da da, da da and that's it. it it's really something that you're going to do out on the flight line but like you said When it's the first time you're flying in that Cessna 172 trying to talk to ATC, oh, one, two, three. And so it's going to be a little bit of a struggle because you're just not used to it. But after, you know, a couple of years out on the flight line and you've been doing the same departure out of the same airport for the last couple of years, then it's just like you don't write anything down, although you should. You're just like, yeah, 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 and you're good to go. So that's what this is all about. Triggers and flows. Will you get distracted? Positive exchange of controls. And act as if it's the same, like you're in the airplane. So move. use your hand gestures, vocalize. They love that stuff.
3: And, and no, I, I agree with you 100%. One of the things uh, a couple of the guys and I were talking about last night after we got back is, you know, this is the first time that I'm going to be with a, a captain right? Hmm. Um, because my, my partner and I are both FO uh, new hires. Mm-hmm. So we have to swap seats, which is fine. And, and I get it. Um, but with the, 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 the new hire, you know, FOFO, and this is the first time I'm going be with captain. And, you know, I was telling my partner last night, uh, when we were in the sim thing, that like, he's a captain, you're an FO, right? Cool. But when you're pilot flying, that is your airplane. It is your responsibility at that time. You hold the, quote, positional authority over that captain to be like, hey, I need you to program this. Hey, I need you to, you know, to set up and review for this approach. You know, maybe not say need and all that, but may- ask the captain, hey, can you set up and review the approach? First? Right? Right. And it, it, in, in the SIM or in the CPT, you know, if, because if, obviously I know that's an FMS procedure type thing and they want to see how you program and do all that you know if they say you know hey can you set up and review this approach and they say no you go ahead and do it all right your airplane while i'm setting up and reviewing this approach
0: right right perfect yeah
3: so you know we, we've we kind of my, my buddy and i who lives out here uh we talked about that last night and that was one of those things that like all right cool if you're gonna if you're gonna make this you know me setting it up and i'm flying then guess what while i'm setting up you're flying right yeah right
2: and you won't get too much Pushed back by anybody on the in in real world time, you know, flying a real airplane like that, you do stuff like that. It normally it's whoever's kind of you know not busy at the moment, you know, especially in cruise, you got the thing on autopilot, you just set it up. Normally the pilot flying is gonna set it up anyway, right? Um, mm-hmm. But there, there are times where you set up, your review, you brief, and then they change the runway on you, and you're ready knee deep into a descent or, you know, trying to manage the manage the airplane on a, on a star and arrival, trying to meet an altitude constraint or whatever. And they change the runway on you. Then you're like, Hey dude, can you, you mind setting up and reviewing the the new approach for us? And yeah, you know, so. Yeah. And, and if you're below 10,
0: uh, I wouldn't do the the exchange of controls to brief it after they put it in there for you. I would just say, okay, why don't you brief me on the changes? Yeah. that way you're Give just the big stuff. continuing yeah you're in a critical phase of flight don't sit there and do yeah. an exchange of controls so you can rebrief something a new runway assignment just-
2: especially if it's a vfr day <laughs> that's when <all> right? the <laughs> you know but but that's the see and that's the other big thing i think a lot of people get all you know i, I don't know they they kind of overload it it's like you know it's vfr and they're actually advertising on the ATIS visual approach to one seven center and they'll brief the whole ILS oh, approach. Gosh. Yeah. And I'm like, guys, you know, we're not we're flying the an ILS that. approach. If you go missed, <laughs> none of that stuff on that plate matters. You know, the only thing you're concerned with is course and altitudes. That's it. You know, course frequencies and altitudes. Yep. That's it. You know, if you go missed, it's going to be whatever the tower tells you to do. And we're so you, you know, I I we can go into you know legalities and stuff like that, but right. we're so used to to setting the missed approach altitude on the approach plate. That's what we do. And but mm-hmm. in reality, TPA. you're really only cleared to the traffic pattern altitude or right. whatever last altitude assigned. Maintain three thousand until established. Well, you go miss. Guess what? Three thousand is your missed approach altitude. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. anyway, uh,
3: <laughs> how often do you <laughs> yeah. guys actually fly the published miss? If you, well, first off, let me ask how often do you guys go missed? <laughs> and second question to that is how often do you fly the published mist?
2: So Mexico, you're going to fly the published mist. Okay. Radar environment, nine times out of 10, you're going to fly a published mist. Ask me how I know. <laughs> Check airman for a couple of years, had to go missed a couple of times in Mexico. Yeah. You're flying a published mist um, in the States. Rarely, never, unless you're flying a uh, a, um, a non-radar environment, Montrose, um, X and A, when an airport's closed or something like that, um, you're going to fly the published mist. Um, so that's, it's, you know, and then obviously if you're IMC, legit, you know, Cat 1, Cat 2, Cat 3, you go mist and you you haven't been able to get a word in on a controller, um, which is very rare. Um, you're going to start the published mist, and then once you get your radio call in, they'll probably start vectoring you off the the procedure. Which you know normally you're probably still in the you know the reconfiguration stage of the climb out of uh, going going missed or something like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, I think between training cycles, because during
0: training that's all you do, right? You're going to do twenty approaches and nineteen missed, whatever whatever it is. Probably between training cycles, I experience maybe two or three missed approach procedures a year. Um, nine out of ten, it's not due to weather. But it also depends on where you're based, where you're flying into, what time of year. Um, now, in terms of the missed approach procedures here, like, like Rob was saying, is like when you're international, yeah, they expect you to do exactly what's charted, and rarely will you ever do anything else. Here domestically, like you know, in the, in that radar environment, nine out of ten they're gonna you're gonna say going missed, and they'll say okay, climb runway heading, uh, level off at four thousand, uh, and we'll get you back, you know, uh, you know, turn left, you know, basically crosswind, leg, get radar vectored back into the queue because especially Class Bravo airports. They've got airplanes stacked four or five-mile separations for miles, so now they've got to fit you in somehow back into the queue. You go missed in JFK, and 9 out of 10, it's because of separation, right? The airplane in front of you kind of did a long runway landing and, and didn't get off the runway, so now they lost separation because in VFR conditions, there's much less separation between you and the airplane in front of you and behind you than in instrument procedures or, in, or IMC scenario. So you 9 out of 10, when I go miss, it's because of the tower commanded a missed approach procedure because it's lost separation. Or on the rare occasion, and it's happened to me, it's it's just a fact of life, it's going to happen, you're going to be unstable. And you're going to have to go miss. Now we have, I I think uh, Sandpiper is the same, that they have the hard uh, go around and the soft go around procedures. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong there, but um, we do that on the Airbus. So when we go missed for a reason other than uh, performance or you know, really bad weather, we do a soft go around. So we go to toga to cycle the FMS into the missed approach procedure, and then we pull it back to climb immediately after. Um, and then we usually will get a heading and an altitude other than what's charted uh, in order to cycle us back in. So to answer your question, yeah, we, we don't really do it very often. That's why it's such a big focus point in recurrent training and in initial ground school. Uh, it's the same, well, how often do you get an a engine failure at V1? Well, hopefully never in your career, but we train for it every single time. Then you're tested on it. Why? Because there's, that cannot be something you go, what was I supposed to do again? It has to be muscle memory instantaneous because it's an extremely critical phase of flight of departure to, to have an engine failure at V1, most critical time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it goes the same for the missed approaches now in the simulator. And I think we spoke about this a couple months ago, you're always doing the missed approach at DA decision altitude mm-hmm. or MDA, your minimum <laughs> descent altitude. So you're, you're at the last second. Uh, do you have the runway Runway's not in sight. All right, going missed. Go so around. Go, go around, right? So you do, your, you do all your call-outs. You go through your procedures that you're going to be in there today, being tested on your training procedures, uh, and eventually in the simulator for your maneuvers validation. Um, but on the line, your missed approach could start 10 miles out. Mm-hmm. Okay? You're not going to go to Toga 10 mm-hmm. miles out and fly the published missed. at least not here in the U.S., Under a radar environment, you were going to be given, all right, uh, cancel your approach clearance, maintain 4,000, fly runway heading. So no reason to go to Toga. You just start pulling your flight guidance control panel knobs and all that stuff, and you go, okay, level off, altitude, select heading, select uh, speed, start getting cleaned up, whatever you got to do. But now you're just flying runway heading over the runway. And mm-hmm. if they give you an immediate turn, you turn and climb and climb away, and you need to be prepared to do that too. And I think okay. those misapproach approach procedures give pilots a bigger problem than the ones at minimum, because the ones and at I minimum. I will
1: second that. Like I can tell you from an instructional standpoint, if you want to see, I mean, first a pilot mess up, just give them a misapproach. approach, but uh-huh. then have them shoot an ILS, and before they make it to DA. Like give it, I don't know, like a couple miles prior and tell them that oh, there's a disabled aircraft on the runway. We need to go around by the push, missed approach. They're not going to know what to do,
0: yeah, because you don't train they for that. Could in still, the
1: sim. They could still be above the the missed approach altitude and then they want to turn. They're like, Well, what do I do? I don't know. I just told you to go miss
4: because
1: <laughs> you still got to fly to the missed approach point before you do anything, right? Yeah, but then you're out alti- you're not getting me. I'm higher than I was. Or they blow through their altitude because, you know, they're 1,500 feet higher. Yeah. It's entertaining.
0: Yeah. And it's there's no <laughs> hurry to clean up the airplane, too. A lot of people go, oh, uh, speed up. Go ahead. Get the flaps up. Get it. No, just level off. If you don't need the gear anymore, bring the gear up. What's your speed? Are you accelerating? You don't have to accelerate rapidly, but are you accelerating? Are you at a speed where I can safely retract the flaps maybe one notch? Or do
1: you need to retract them? Do you even have flaps full? Or, yeah if you're like that if, right. if you're in feet flaps feet one feet on or two or you
4: yeah
0: yeah just yep. make it a nice calm like hey all right all right all right well, i can do this yeah you know, just
3: stay calm i like
2: speed 210 flaps one that's and it you don't have yeah, to go I, fast
3: i was gonna say the the best speed in this airplane from what i've gathered is 210 like yep. everything in this airplane you can do at 210 and you'll be completely fine
2: exactly yep, yep. it's not fast not rushed yeah you're good yeah. After, yeah, after takeoff checklist, except for the flaps. That's <laughs> that's, that's it. it. You know, and thank you so much for you know
0: leading us into this conversation, Alex. This is actually something that we weren't planning on talking about, but this is exactly kind of the the thing that I love uh, bringing to the podcast is a little bit of insight on on what we do and what we've seen over our decades of flying the line. And uh, we'll be right back, and we're going to talk a little bit about honor flights and pilot pay and the news that has been hitting the headlines and every meme that's been published right after this break. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome back from the break. Well, we've all been talking about it. You've probably heard about it unless you've been living under a rock without Wi-Fi, which is just awful. American Airlines' regional partners increase pilot pay by more than 50%, and Czech Airmen at the the regional partners will now be making more than wide-body captains at the Legacy Carriers. (laughs) What? Let the memes begin. This is outrageous, but...
1: I just, want to, I just want to go on record saying I'm okay with that. Well, I'm okay with it, too. <laughs> Come on. Who works harder? The 777 captain who sits back, he turns on the autopilot, and falls asleep for 12 hours? Or the Czech airman who's flying with Alex down here who's never flown a jet? <laughs> what? Yeah. Let the memes begin on yeah. Yeah.
0: Alex, you have you now know, been privy what? to Rogers. <laughs> <laughs>
3: You know, Roger, I used to, to to love how you used to get on those one twenty one guys all the time. I couldn't help and, it. And you know, it just came to me. <laughs> I, I had no idea it was going there, and then it just came to me, and it came out. You and know, like I, like I said, I, I used to love to how it. you would. I used to love how you would get on them, <laughs> and, and you know what? I'm one of them now. So you know, I, I take that disrespect very, very much to the Welcome heart. Welcome to okay? the club.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, find myself on the internet and me now. <laughs>
0: So a couple couple episodes ago we were talking about kicking the can down the road for 2 years with the Potential extension of the mandatory retirement age going from sixty-five to sixty-seven. All of our unions have been talking about it. I know Southwest Airlines' union was talking about it, and there are, and even ours was saying it's not going to happen. It doesn't fix anything. It kicks the can down the down the road for two years. It's not a solution. It is only a band-aid. And we were talking about this here on the show, and we collectively thought, you know, the only way to fix this is to get more people into aviation, not get the people that are in aviation a a way to stay longer, but we need to get more people into aviation so that the hiring pool increases exponentially. And the FAA has put out statistics on how no one's getting their freaking commercial anymore. It's just not happening, and not at least in the numbers that were there turn of the century in, in the year 2000s and, and things like that. The numbers have, have dramatically decreased because why would you go into debt for a hundred or $200,000 in order to make 30000 or $28,000 your first year as a regional pilot, jet operator? Um, it's ridiculous. I know Rob, Roger, and I— all went through that. I mean, we were struggling financially here. We were flying for a airline and barely making 30 something thousand our first couple of years, because that was the industry average pay scale. Now I know there's some wide body captains out there going, well, when
1: I was a young lad,
0: I made $16,000 my first year and ate only macaroni and cheese. And I was like, well, Hey, that's great. But was coffee $7 and gas $6. And you know, I mean, no, right. it wasn't coffee was a nickel and, and you used to walk Moses to school, but you know, come oh, on, let's, in all seriousness, things were different. <laughs> Inflation wasn't what it was. And, and so here we are now at a sign of the times where you have to, you have to have an ATP to be a first officer at an airline. There are so many more requirements, so many more safety regulations, so much more financial burden to get this career. The only way you're going to attract more individuals to come into it and have some kid going, I want to be a pilot when I grow up, is to pay us a ridiculous amount of money so that instead of being a social media influencer, what we want to be is an airline pilot. And it's happened. Or at least that's what we think. So in an article from Flying Magazine, they expose what the American Airlines' wholly owned regional partners have come up with. You guys are not ready for (laughs) this. So in an article from Flying Magazine, uh, from Michael Wilds, dated June 14th of 2022, American Airlines' regional partners increase pilot pay by more than 50%. Regional partner or regional pilots at two of American Airlines' wholly owned subsidiaries, Piedmont and Envoy, are getting a 50% pay raise. All three.
3: All P- PSA just signed yesterday.
0: Okay, well there you go. So this article is already outdated and just came out. Uh, so all three of the partners uh, get the pay raise, and, and we expected that as well, too. To be uh, totally honest, and it only goes from now. Until the end of August 2024, at least that's what we're looking at here. The latest move by Americans subsidiaries comes after the CEO of the mainline carrier, Robert Isom, told investors at a conference that its regional partners had to park up to 100 airplanes this summer because they didn't have enough pilots to fly them. The pay raise will make these pilots the highest paid at the regional level, and the airline hopes that it will help the company stave off pilot attrition, and recruit new hires as demand continues to ramp up. Piedmont First Officers will now see first-year pay begin at $90 an hour, up from $51, while first-year captains will earn $146 an hour, up from $78. When the company announced the pay hike, it said it worked with the Airline Pilots Association, or ALPA, last weekend to secure the deal. Envoy and ALPA could extend the agreement later if demand persists. Piedmont operates Embraer 145s, which seat up to 50 passengers for Americans' routes between small cities. When the company had to park some of its fleet, that hurt its revenue. And some small towns lost airline service. The airline plans to hire more than 400 pilots this year and said it would prioritize experienced direct-entry captains because of a pilot flow-through agreement with American mainline carriers and a recent uptick in demand. Piedmont is losing as many as 25 pilots a month, which means it could lose three of every four pilots it hired. So it needs to hire more pilots faster than it can replace them or continue to lose business. With more pilots, we can get more of our aircraft back in the air, Morgan said. That benefits the communities we serve and all of our team members. Piedmont pilot wages will be 50 to 70 percent higher, 57 percent on average, than the next highest paid regional carrier, Endeavour, the wholly owned regional carrier for Delta Airlines. With bonuses, Piedmont says that its new hires would make as much as 31 percent more than Endeavour pilots and even 10 percent more than pilots at leading ultra low cost carriers during the first five years. Line check airmen, who train other new hires and pilots, as Roger so eloquently pointed out, will get the highest raise at $427.50 an hour under the
2: new contract. I think I think that's a little off, too. You think it's more? If they fly premium. If they fly premium, yeah. it's $600. Oh, oh, yeah, that's the other yeah. thing.
3: is they, they said that in the, the all-pilots call is... You get that pay, and if it's a premium trip, you get that three hundred percent on top of it, or whatever the percentage is so, so
2: almost a thousand dollars, a thousand dollars to fly per a thousand dollars per hour to fly a check airman training premium trip
3: but that is <laughs> a, that is only while they are conducting duties yeah, as a Czech, as a Czech Czech instructor right while they're flying they're, it's not exactly. their normal line pay well, right. I can
0: tell you at least uh, six years ago when i was at the height of my check airman duties at, at Stan Piper, uh, the sister company. Um, if I picked up a premium trip and I didn't tell the training department that I picked up a premium trip, they'd get mad at me because they're like, I've got to put a student with you. So, <laughs> yeah.
1: So uh, I wonder if uh, I can does, go back. Does, uh, do they need check airmen? Is there such thing as a direct entry check airman?
0: You know, you should look into I that. I mean,
3: yeah, ro- Roger, that that one twenty one world's not seeming so bad now, is it? Huh?
0: I mean, you may not yeah. be able to go to Istanbul uh, for your layovers, but hey, Grand Rapids yeah. is not
2: bad.
3: I yeah. love Grand Rapids. Yeah, I was my about. Not, I was going to ask you, North Roger. Dakota.
2: Does this does this uh, <laughs> does this at all, you know, set off any um, you know alarms in your head? Like, hey, this is something I need to look into from your standpoint. I'm just wondering how it so, looks. I'm just wondering how it looks into the, like the community of, you know, non-airline pilots thinking about getting back. So to
1: Yeah. I mean, I have multiple viewpo- viewpoints um, on this. Um, does it change very much for me? No, probably not really, but it goes back to what Anthony had asked or what Tony had asked, but uh, 10 minutes ago, you know, how does this affect me? on and what i do yeah i i don't have an answer to that um i i don't know the 121 world it's it's always been there's always been draw to the 121 world because of the possibilities over the length of a career you know me still being fairly fairly young um from an airline pilot standpoint you know i would make more money over the course of my career, hands down. its I mean, it's not really much of a comparison. You know, can I leverage that at some point? I don't know. We're going to find out in the next few months because I I just am. Um, This particular thing at the regional airlines, you know, I think because of the work rules at the regionals, it still doesn't. You know, if there, to be honest, if there was such a thing as a direct entry check airman getting paid those rates, Mm-hmm. yeah i mean that yeah. might be something to look at
4: yeah i mean yeah. you fly
1: 200 you fly 250 hours a year yes doing czech airmen work but i'm sure that I, i'm i would assume that there's a lot of czech airmen work to be done um
0: about 80 hours a month minimum
3: yeah
1: but that's 250 me, hours get,
3: a year you get to fly with hours. wonderful people like me <laughs> yeah yeah where do i sign up <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there. Is, I mean, I think that that's a, a little ridiculous, in terms of. I mean, paying a. I quite, quite frankly, I mean, it's ridiculous to pay any airplane pilot, airline, airplane, aircraft, whatever, a thousand dollars an hour. Um, I suspect over the course of the conversation, I might disagree a little bit with some of your guys' opinions, too. <laughs> well, well, I
4: think
2: I think it's just something. It's temporary, obviously. Yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's a mandate.
1: Yeah, there's no way this is sustainable. No, it's not. But the system itself, the system itself as a whole, is not sustainable. And they're going to need to fix the system as a whole. I don't know how they're going to do it.
2: I think, I think in the back of every airline pilot's mind, right now, is these gains. They always say, you know, once once you give something up, it's hard to gain it back. And I think also with the gains like this, um, it sets a new standard, you know, as far as pay and compensation um, across the board. For, you know, obviously this this uh, you know this pay structure, like Alex said, it it has a sunset date, you know, at some point, and they said it can be extended. But um, I guess my point is is that, you know, this is now the new standard. And it's going to be really hard to negotiate off that standard because um, as soon as you, you say, okay, we're going to snap back to our old pay rates or something just a little bit higher than what it was before, but it's considered really lower than what it is now, you're going, to, you're going to start that cycle all over again where, you know, okay, well, it's yeah. not worth it anymore. And we're, gonna, <laughs> we're not going to well, get hey- hi- you know, new hires like we were before
3: in how it is and how it sits for us right now sitting right like the 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 pay bump that we got is from fifty two dollars an hour to sixty dollars an hour right that's what was negotiated in the contract they put in in that as well a premium pay right for this shortage that we're in of a fifty percent pay bump off of the new rates that we're getting so in essence we did get a pay bump, but it's only to sixty dollars an hour, right? I don't want to try to, to spend this in in a bad way, but we're only getting a pay bump of like eight bucks an hour. They're mm-hmm. giving us a premium because of the shortage that we're in right now to attract more people coming in, and that's what they're trying to do is get more people coming in the doors the the I forget who told me, but it was somebody in our class. they said, after the day that this happened, right, so this happened on. Friday, Saturday, uh, Friday night, Saturday in that time frame this week, or this last week, and the next day, the training department received over eighty applications. Which wow. in one day, that's yeah. huge, you know. And the, the what they're trying to do, it, it was what they told us in the, the all pilots call, is they're trying to stop the hemorrhaging. What's happening right now is you'll get a guy like myself, and I'll use me as an example. You'll come in to, to, to Sandpiper. You'll come here. You'll fly for a couple years, get your 1,000 hours. Uh, they've guaranteed us now that once we hit 750 uh, on our time, that we'll start getting captain's pay. Uh, so you get your you know 1,000 hours. And once you get that, most people are leaving to go to some kind of Uh, UL uh, ULCC or LCC carrier, Spirit Frontier,
0: Spirit. Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah. They're they're leaving to Spirit and Frontier and, and JetBlue and going there for another two three years to build up more experience, and then coming back into Legacy or Delta or United or Southwest and walking in the front door now with five, six years of 121 experience and walking straight in the front door rather than waiting for the flow. And that's what they're trying to stop is that. They yeah. want us to, to flow. However, they only guarantee 20 flow pilots a month. So if you look at the numbers the union puts out, we're losing, I think year to date, we're, we're losing 120 pilots to the flow, right? So 20 a month, right? We're in the, the sixth month, so that's 120 pilots. Simple math. That's easy, quick math, Tony. Um, but the, the outside airlines are losing, I think it's like close to 500 year to date. So they're trying to stop that hemorrhaging of pilots leaving. So they're guaranteeing us that we will flow by five years. If we're not flowed over to American by five years, we now go and we say we want to flow and we meet all the requirements and all that. We now get a pay bump from the five-year captain's pay to 20-year captain's pay until we flow
2: yeah which is $212 or something like
3: that an hour yeah they're 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 trying to stop the the hemorrhaging from leaving american or or you know the let me rephrase that they're trying to stop the hemorrhaging from legacy as a whole whether it's coming from the wholly owned or not they're they're trying to stop that the the bleeding effect so that people are staying with legacy because right. if not they're getting poached by delta and united and southwest like that right. there's a captain wow. who's in upgrade right now for for sandpiper who got a cjo at delta and he's taking it even even after all this being said and done he's still taking the the delta CJO. i don't
1: think you are gonna stop that I mean, if somebody's going to get an offer from another legacy, why wait for the flow? I mean, you're just better off. Your course of your career is still going to be better the sooner you get to a legacy. Yeah. I believe they'll be able to stop the the spirit. I I, mean, I think that this hurts the most. who This is going to hurt is going to be the spirit, um,
4: yep. Frontier, yeah. Allegiant,
1: maybe JetBlue, although you know yeah. JetBlue kind of falls in there with Southwest, I think. But it's going to hurt those ultra low-cost carriers more than anybody else. In, yeah.
0: And, and, and I know a lot of pilots out there think, oh, wow, look, they're doing this because they really need pilots at, at, uh, at these regional carriers, and you know they're, they're scraping the bottom of the barrel, and they need to try to get poach people from other airlines. And there's truth to that. But like Roger and, and the rest of you were saying, that this does hurt the ultra-low-cost carriers. And if we stop and think for one second that mainline CEOs don't make a move like this without considering how it'll benefit the bottom line, I mean, we're, we're, we're losing the big picture. And just hours after this was announced, as you've mentioned, Spirit MEC, for the, the Master Executive Council for Alpa at Spirit Airlines, sent a letter to their fellow pilots, and it reads, Dear fellow Spirit Alpa pilots, last week, industry-changing Uh, agreements at the American wholly owned fee for departure carriers and the recent announcement that United TA underscore the serious threat of pilot market Uh realities to Spirit, the improvements to mainline and fee-for-departure contracts will squeeze Spirit Airlines' ability to attract and retain pilots from both ends of the industry pilot supply chain. Spirit will not only continue to face high levels of attrition, but will likely experience serious difficulties attracting new pilots. More than a third of the pilots hired at Spirit so far this year have come from the AA wholly owned carriers. And now those pilots have much better incentives to stay right where they are. Folly of hiring one's way out of an attrition crisis is now laid bare as we become a less favorable carrier option than an ALPA FFD, or fee-for-departure carrier, with flow to a mainline. As the legacies come in with new pay rates and the fee-for-departure carriers offer potential compensation to exceed SPIRIT, And a path to careers at the Legacies, we need compensation and work rules that position Spirit as a career airline. It is now evident that other airline management teams not only know how to recognize when it's time to get a deal done, but how to do it. Spirit Airlines management must recognize that there is an existential threat to the airline's future. It's time for Spirit Airlines to be leaders, not stragglers. It's time to ditch the worn-out, old-school bargaining tactics and instead partner with labor for the health of our airline. Now, there's some pretty key points there that...
1: There's, there's some, some key points, but you've got a totally different airline. Like, that's not the airline that Spirit was built to be. No,
2: but they're... Yeah. The third but they of have, their... They have to... They need to adapt. They need to adapt and kind of so over time, how do, okay,
1: but how do you adapt? I
2: well, mean the
1: clientele that you're going for, you're already trying to put people in a somewhat uncomfortable if you're just comparing comparing, you know, air, we'll just take an Airbus 320 to an Airbus 320, would you rather fly on a you know on a Delta Airbus or would you rather fly mm-hmm. on a Frontier Spirit Airbus? I mean, I think yeah. that anyone's gonna basically will tell you which one's more comfortable. And I don't know yeah. how you can increase you know the amount of of revenue much oh, yeah. more than spirit already has and that's nothing against spirit it's just that the business model is a whole lot different just, i think it's going to be harder for them to raise the money to be able to yeah buy. i think it's going to be really hard for them and, yeah, and
3: from a from a standpoint from somebody who's coming into the industry like myself like i looked at um the possibility of going to frontier because they're hiring at 1500 hours right now You know, and I think Spirit is the same way where they're taking the the ATP minimums and and hiring you because they're hurting. But, like, for me, I I, I was looking at longevity and and travel benefits within the company and and overall, you know, what the airline stands for and what it does. You know, like, I want to be able to put 30-something years into this company – and retire and use my travel benefits I want to be able to, to go to Europe or to, to Asia or you know somewhere like that when I'm done and retired and I couldn't do that with spirit Spirit doesn't have those routes right. Legacy airlines do you know American Delta and United all have those routes and that's what I was looking for in a longevity of a company so from from a, a entry standpoint for a pilot's perspective you know, this is the prime opportunity for someone to come in and go, okay, I can make more going to Sandpiper, you know, at $90 an hour than I could going to Frontier or Spirit coming in at the same amount of hours. And then I put in time and I've got longevity to stay and go to American or go to United or go to Delta. And now my, my company seniority, granted, my flight seniority is not the same, but my company seniority is 40 plus years if you're a 25 year old. You know, you you got a 40 year longevity at, at American Airlines. I mean, tell me that you're not going to want those benefits when you retire. Tell me that you're not going to have those, those great, amazing, you know, things when you retire because you are. And that's what, that's what, that's what I look for.
4: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point.
0: It is a very interesting time in the airline industry. We've been talking about this for years here on the podcast amongst each other out on the flight line, about how the regional fee-for-departure hub-and-spoke system cannot sustain itself. Uh, They tried fixing it first with putting bigger airplanes on a regional route, going around scope clauses in order to fly more passengers per pilot because of a shrinking number of available pilots out on the market. We talked about mandatory retirements becoming uh, a big floodgate that's going to open and it has mandatory retirements have caused some serious shortages along the mainline carriers and the major airlines in the country and to make up for that they've started hiring and when you hire you hire from an experienced pool which is the regional carriers so what happens to the regional carriers when there's growth on one end and loss on the other through the flow is you have to make up for that and, you know, we've been talking about this now, at least on our end at Legacy and at Sandpiper for a really long time. What was it, 2011, when the, the, uh, the mainline carrier decided to go yeah. bankrupt and the scope clause went yeah. away and they gave away a bunch of flying for contracted out regionals. And, and mm-hmm. a lot of guys and gals went to low-cost carriers. They're like, you know what, this regional airline's going belly up. Uh, they're claiming bankruptcy. We're out of here. And they went and took, you know, opportunities at Spirit, and uh, a lot of them went to uh, Virgin America, which was a carrier at the time that got merged into with Alaska. And you know, they've got their career paths. And sometimes you're just lucky. You get lucky. You end up somewhere. And other times, you end up at a carrier that you thought was a good move, and then they start shrinking and they start going out of business, and you're like, oh, crap. You know? So you never know in this industry. You never know with this career. Uh, you try to make the best decisions, the most sound decisions, and there are times when those decisions are hard to make and hard to come by, the opportunities. Uh, but right now, with this you know, temporary pay hike, everybody's talking about it. They're attracting those resumes. They're getting people not to go and leave because when someone, like you said, Alex, when someone leaves Sandpiper to go to a low cost carrier, that's one less resource for mainline to have that, you know, that faucet of pilots that can come in and take over as the retirements happen and as the growth comes back. The projections that we've had um, explained to us is that international flying might come back to pre pandemic levels, but not until somewhere around 2025, that's not far away. And as a matter of fact, the article went on to state that uh, the U.S. airline industry plans to hire as many as 30,000 pilots by the year 2030. Wow. That's less than eight years away. 30,000 pilots. That's a lot of pilots. And where are you getting them from? Where are they coming from?
3: And that's the yeah. thing is they're, they're not there. The, the, the flight schools, I mean, with inflation costs being as it is, like you're looking at a cost to entry right now of a hundred plus thousand dollars, right? I don't know how the the pilot mill schools are sitting, but I know looking at, you know, one of the big ones that's out there, it's sitting somewhere around 90 to a hundred thousand dollars. Granted you go from zero to hero, right? But you, you, you know it's still that's a, you can't tell me that you're going to get this person coming in off the street who knows nothing about flying and you're going to tell them hey go ahead and get yourself a hundred plus thousand dollars into debt and then go work for pennies yeah you know yeah.
0: what i did I, it i mean what are you saying i,
3: I was gonna say and, that, and that's what and that's what <laughs> you guys you know experience and that's what they're they're trying to 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 alleviate now like you know my, my pay sitting before all this was happening, my pay was sitting somewhere around $3,800 a month. Right. Which in, in, you know, in, in how it's sitting right now with inflation is probably no different than where you guys were, maybe a little bit more than what you guys were, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. You know, now we're sitting here and, you know, going to be making almost double that, you know, that, that, alleviates that kind of that burden so that someone doesn't have to defer their student loans or, or their interest on their loans for that long. And they're not going to have it compound and, you know, go from a, you know, a hundred thousand dollar loan to a $200,000 loan because they deferred their interest, you know, and pay that off the yeah. rest of their life.
0: Have you been looking at my financials, dude? <laughs>
3: well, I, well, and, uh, you, I remember no, when you well, told that, that to me when, when we met, yeah. you know, that like, you yeah. you deferred and you you put off your interest yeah. and no one told you. No one told you about compound interest. And by the time you realized it, your you know sixty thousand dollar debt was now a hundred and twenty thousand dollar debt. Yeah. And and that's yeah. the thing that like these kids, yeah, cool. Hey, go take out a hundred thousand dollar loan. The banks aren't gonna tell you, you know, that, oh, by the way, if you defer your payments, you're gonna compound your interest, right? So like to, to have this pill to swallow that you're only going to be making $3,800 a month, you know, with a hundred thousand dollars, you know, Tony, what did you say your, your first loan payment was like almost a thousand dollars?
0: Yeah. I was like, that's like more than half my paycheck. I'm supposed to pay a rent and food and single income earner in Southern California. That's not going to happen.
3: Yeah. And and, you know, and we live in California where, you know, obviously cost of living is a, a little bit higher you know and and my plan obviously is to to move to texas where cost of living is lower because that's the beauty about an airline pilot is your pay does not change based on your location yeah you know so i want my money to go further yeah. and and that's you know that's something that also is to consider right is where you're living as a pilot like are you close to you know are you close to your base are you close to you know are you close to an airport where you can commute because i mean let's face it with sandpiper we've only got three bases we got chicago we got miami and we got dallas yes. that's it
0: yeah most economical one is dallas so yeah yeah
3: you know but then there's going to be the influx of people moving to to the dallas area and then that's going to drive cost of living here up more you know yeah. so it, it it just it just depends on that but you know for for uh a, a entry level uh uh First officer, right? Coming out of flight school, I had one of my former students text me, and she started asking me questions of like, "Hey, like, when did you start applying? What hours did you start doing this?" You know, and I said I was around thirteen hundred when I started applying, and I got picked up for two interviews for Sandpiper and for for Skywest, and you know, I, I chose Sandpiper because of the flow and everything that I was talking about earlier. But and then that was like a day before this all came out and i text her that that next day and i said hey i know that you're considering airlines but strongly look at legacy's holy owns doesn't matter right now all three of them right yeah look at all three of them because holy crap did we just like set the bar so high for entry level
0: Yeah. yeah so here's the question game changer is it a gimmick
3: 100 is it a gimmick I don't necessarily think so. I think it it is a band aid right now, right? And I think that it's, you know, it's to to placate us as pilots, right? Because you know, talking to different people in in my indoct class and going through this, some of these guys were like, "I'm going to do my, you know, I'm going to do my time through training, get my thousand hours, and then I'm out. Like I'm going to go to a uh, to a low cost." Yeah, I I think ultra low cost.
2: I think I think you know if you look at the big picture is you know I'm, I'm not that smart of a guy but you know i can kind of see you know, if you look at the whole industry as a whole and you go back 30 years 40 years what got us to this to this point you know it it's it's a there it's the you know if you look at it from a pilot's perspective the cost of training the schedules, you know, the lifestyle, it has, you know, it, in, in, in my, from my perspective, it has gone downhill. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, look, look at our schedules now, um, Tony and, uh, Roger, you probably experienced this the short time you're at, at, um, at your regional carrier there, you know, the schedules at, when we were, when we were at uh, Sandpiper, there, there were some brutal days, but, I am, I was nowhere as tired or fatigued as I am now True, flying my Very schedules. True. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, you know, so if you were at a legacy carrier and you were flying, you know, 20, 20 years ago or so, you know, I think they're, they're experiencing the same thing where, you know, before you were able to go to a city and enjoy the, the city and and you know have time and then get up the next day feel rested and go work your schedule and end up at another city or whatever and it was somewhat enjoyable i mean it's still work you're still you're still going to get tired and you're still going to have your moments but you're able to you know still feel like you're a person <laughs> you know when when you when you set the parking brake and and leave the airplane you are able to go to the hotel grab something to eat go get a workout in and and take in some of the sites and now in the effort to squeeze as much efficiency out of that individual in their schedule they've made it to the point where it's it's very very you know tough to have a good time yeah. at work and so the 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 value of enjoyment in the on you know on a normal work week is is a lot lower than what it used to be. And is it worth it pay wise? You know, it's 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 a totally different dynamic. What, what do they have just, to do?
1: What you're just talking about is go, is exactly what what it comes down to when you ask me about whether I would want to go to the legacies. Sure. A lot of it comes into that exact same thing. Yeah. You guys go on a four day trip, you fly a day one, you have an overnight fly day two, fly day three, fly day four. Whereas for me most of the like on this trip yeah yesterday was kind of long today i'm doing nothing most of the time i have a multi-day trip and i don't do anything on the middle days yeah i fly like flying three legs in one day is a that's a long day that's why the yesterday mm-hmm. was so long i had to fly three legs i actually had to yeah. sit somewhere for six hours too so yesterday not so great but today i have nothing and then tomorrow i sit all day and you know, fly back later and then it's then it's over. It's so, yeah. the, the trips themselves, there is a whole lot less work involved. And sometimes I actually joke that when I go on a trip, it's you know, I get I go away and like, my kids kids a well, little a vacation they can get more yeah. work
2: done. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But yeah, I can do other stuff of which there's always more stuff for me to do, sure. but it's so much easier. Like my trip working my trip is a whole lot easier than you know anything that I did at you know when I was at Express Jet, um mm. for for the five years, or you know yeah. what you guys do now. Um, the yeah. work so it's a I term we call quality trip,
2: of life. Yeah, quality yeah. of life on the, on the clock and off the clock. it, it
1: reminds me, like like the quality of life on the clock.
4: Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: Is a totally. whole lot more than what you, what you guys
3: have.
4: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, yeah. but then so again, I grew up in the industry. Right, my dad worked at Legacy back in the when. He started at Legacy. It was the uh, the Air Cal merger in the '80s, and he, I grew up in the '90s, right, flying around pre nine eleven, and this was the times where you'd be with your crew for the entire month. You know, you you'd spend the month with them. I, my dad was on the fondest memories I have was when my dad was on the ten, based out of LA, and you know he'd be with his crew going to Boston. He'd be with his crew going to to New York for a month and. You know, you go out to New York for uh, a three, three day layover, right? You get in on like a Monday and leave on a Wednesday. You know, you had time in the city to be able to, to be in the city and enjoy yourself. And, you know, now it's like, okay, cool. Hey, you're going to spend your, your night in Grand Rapids tonight. And then tomorrow you're in, you know, uh, you know, you're going to Dallas and back up to, to Fargo, North Dakota. You know, like you're going, you're you're not spending enough time to really, you know, have good quality of life. Efficiency
0: is, you know, and that's what FAR 117 brought is a a means to have the airlines increase efficiency with their pilot groups. I mean, the fact that we fly, we can fly more now. Yeah, we got a couple extra hours behind the door at the hotel, but we can fly a lot more now. And so uh, it's all about efficiency maximizing the schedules we've heard this uh, schedule maximizer and all that stuff you know with the companies you're using to get us flying as much as possible and forget about circadian rhythm forget about all that stuff rest on layovers and the ability to to have a meal during regular hours and not in the middle of the night I mean that stuff's not important because they can't see past the productivity of it all and to order you know to, to circle back to what we're talking about We've given up so much. We've been so exhausted over the past few years with our schedules. And I know that some people, they think, oh, you're whining. But it's true. And you, no matter who you ask, flight attendants or pilots alike, it, it, we're exhausted. This backside of the clock, multiple time zones. The other day I did a trip, I was in six different time zones in one trip and, and not all at once. And so, yeah, I can't even do simple math anymore. I mean, it's, it's, it's I'm exhausted. And I'm trying to juggle everything. I'm trying to juggle work. I'm trying to juggle home. And it's tough. And to have at least a minimum of some kind of financial compensation for that just to adjust for the incredible inflation that we're dealing with is a starting point. It is at least a beginning. It is a sign of good faith, even though that there is a hidden agenda that they don't tell us about, about minimizing the other airlines poaching our pilots— which is really what it's all about to minimize that. Um, it's not because they like us. It's not because they go, oh, Alex is doing yeah. such a good job in new hire training. We're going <laughs> to give him a 50% pay raise. F that. Yeah. They're not thinking about that whatsoever. <laughs> and if it doesn't benefit yeah. them in some way, shape, or form, financially, fiscally, or otherwise, they're never going to make a decision to help us out. This is all yeah. a, a tactic in order to minimize yeah. the ability for other airlines to yeah. conduct their revenue flying and in a way for us to retain the pilots so that we have the ability to yeah. not cancel flights, which then yeah. produces better optics about our company, about it being yeah. a better company because we get you there and not have to cancel flights because that's terrible optics. And in a land yeah. and in a time and in a society where social media rules.
2: Yeah. And The but one thing I like to add, about, add to that is, is, uh, while I am kind of skeptical at this play that the, you know, the corporation is making, um, you know, I, I totally welcome the pay increases and I'm, I congratulate all the, you know, all the regional partners that, that have, you know, signed on with this new agreement or whatever, you know, that's, that's awesome for them. Um, and I think it's more than deserved, you know, cause you know, you and I have been there and it's, not fun trying to make ends meet and still trying to you know live your you know live out your dream but you know i i am a little skeptical uh but i do kind of commend i do want to commend though you know our company for leading the charge on this because we've been with the company over 17 years i guess at this point maybe Mm -hmm. 18 i can't even count anymore and it is so rare I mean extra, I can't even think of a time when we have actually been the first right. in any category right. <laughs> you know what I mean and, and especially something like this and a lot of uh, you know a lot of the time a lot of the a lot of the situations our our industry our company you know relative to the industry has been reactive rather than proactive and right now it seems like we are being proactive and yep. that is something that I have always, always wanted our company to be, is you know set the bar and let everybody else catch up. Yeah. And I understand a lot of the philosophies that you know we have to follow, and and you know we, you know you don't want to be too overreactive or too you know proactive on things because it may not work out, you know f- for the better for you. Um, and this is going to cost the company a lot of money, um, but. I do think it's something that is needed uh, at least to start addressing the situation amongst many. We talked about money, quality of life is the biggest thing coming up next. You know, these are things that, that is going to fix the problem. You need to make this job more attractive to the guy coming into the industry and money and the quality of life are going to be the two things that are going to, you know, set us in the right direction. Right.
3: And one thing to to piggyback off of both of what you were saying is what, you know, yeah, okay, they're saying, oh, $90 an hour, oh, you guys, you know, that, that's a lot of money for, you know, just sitting up there and pushing buttons and you guys don't work, right? <laughs> but what, what other industry do you guys know of, and I'm putting this out there to, to the podcast world too, what other industry do you guys know of that you put your job and career literally on the line every six months? Yeah. You have well, to get a, year, a medical a year
2: for us now, but yeah. Anyway, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm just kidding. You, you know what I mean, right? You have Small to get job, a medical, yeah. you
3: have to, you know, you have to go through checking events, right? Yeah, no, yeah. you're right. What, uh, what other career do you know that your job is literally in jeopardy every yeah. time you go see your AME and every time yeah. you have a, a check event?
4: Yeah.
2: Or if you have a headache or a migraine or yeah, something like or, that, or, Your or job's God online. Forbid
3: you, you, you have a, a, you know, a condition or something like that, that you're not reporting you know yeah. but like what other industry does that there's no other job like you could be an accountant and be like i'm an alcoholic and you know i have diabetes and you know i can't see very far yeah, yeah. right like and then they're like cool hey join the other you know 48 of you that have all that right like
4: yeah yeah
3: like we're our ass is literally on the line. Yeah. Yeah. And we
0: represent the company. I mean, they have, it's right there in black and white, right there in the, in the FOM, you represent the company in and out of uniform on and off the clock. And like you said, your job is at jeopardy. You do anything stupid. You could, you could be dealing with a career ender. Um, Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, and that's a lot of stress. That's a lot of anxiety to carry around, to know that you have all that responsibility on your shoulder. Now Roger's sitting there kind of like, eh, these guys, they're full of themselves.
1: <laughs> no. No. Not, not not for the most part. In fact, I'm actually fairly I'm fairly like proud of uh of Tony and Rob. And actually Rob even went the opposite direction. What I what I would what I would the part that I would have taken exception to is, and which you guys probably still do, even though if you didn't voice it, is if hey, if um, sandpiper, if regional airlines are getting this, then we want more too. Mm-hmm. That's where I think I have a little bit of an issue because I think that the problem of that the that the pilot pay i think that pilots are somewhat fairly paid at the legacy airlines, maybe a little bit low given given some of the, the factors. But I think that the problem with pilot pay is more is at the bottom because the guys at the bottom from when we were coming up and, and where Alex is starting right now and even, you know, with, with the $60 an hour for all the reasons that he appropriately mentioned is low. Yeah. The barriers to entry, the cost of entry into this career and, you know, with all the other things that were also brought up, that is the pay that needs to come up. But I don't, but, you know, like I like I mostly jokingly made at the very beginning of this, um, you know, in the end, you got to have guys that are ready, that are ready to fly and they don't, ha- and, but they're not working that much less. I would argue that the retail pilots work harder because they fly more legs and, I mean, and when is a stressful time for the pilots to take off and landing and who does more takeoffs and landings? Is right. it going to be, is it going to be Alex? In flying for the regionals, or is it going to be that triple seven guy? Yeah. I mean, I would argue, and I have always argued, that it's the regional guys actually work harder. And just because there's fewer people in the back, really makes no difference. If I put 50 people or 76 people in the back of a of a 145 or of an embryo 170 or CRJ or whatever it is, and he flies five or six like that's still the same amount as the 300 people in the back of a triple seven. Yeah. It, it it doesn't it doesn't matter. And and so, like I said, I think, but that's a that's a dog eat dog world of the avi- of the aviation industry. Is that you know I think that pilots, you know, all pilots, by the time they get to where you guys are at, you're like, well, those guys need to pay their dues, and now I need to catch up. No, so no, screw no, no. them no, and no, no, no. make us pay, pay us more. It's like, oh, well, they're getting paid more. No. Well, where's mine? Where's mine? Where's mine? Roger. That,
0: I've already heard I, it. It's been a week. And, I've already heard it on the flight line. And,
1: And that's what I take exception to in nothing that was said on this podcast today, but that's the part where I would disagree and would take exception to not that you guys deserve a little bit of a pair is that, you know, I, I get that. Um, and I'm for that, but when it becomes the, well, where's mine, you know, screw the guy below me, screw the guy behind me because I, because I want mine. And that's the problem the aviation industry as a whole has in my opinion You know, it's capitalism. You know, no, the company is not out to help the pilot.
2: Yeah. No,
0: I I couldn't agree more.
2: Yeah. I was going to say, you know, it, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Roger. Sorry if you're mid thought. I, I just wanted to make, make sure I get this out there is that, you know, I, I, this much of me believes this is the first step or the first movement in the direction of one seniority list. And eventually, one pay scale. In other words, you're an FO. This is what you get. You're a captain. This is what you get. It's going to happen. I'm telling you. I,
1: I brought that up to Tony the other day. It's going to happen. He, he just gave you the same face. I don't think that is going to happen for a multitude of reasons. Because the other thing that I, that hasn't been brought up um, right now, because it doesn't, it's not really aviation, but it's the world. I don't know. I mean, you were you brought up. Um, I think it was Tony, you brought up an article that said international travel coming back by 2025. I do not think that is going to be the case anywhere close. Really? Not because that's not where it could come, but if you look what's happening in the world right now where we're coming out of a pandemic and all people have all this pent up travel desire or you know, desire yeah. Yeah. and demand with desire, which is then leading to demand. But look at jet fuel prices. Look Shoot. at inflation, look at what's going to I mean, yes. I don't know what's going to happen. But if you look at the world right now, how in the world is there not going to be a massive slowdown? And as as soon as all this demand from the desire and when people all of a sudden look at their bank accounts and realize the fact that, no, we actually don't have enough money to pay for Alex's $90 an hour or the triple sevens, you know, $800 an hour that they want. I think that there's probably going to actually be a reduction in demand over the past couple of years, not because of aviation. But just because I think the that world you're looking market. at a global, yeah. yeah, a global recession because of what's because of what's happening. How is it that we're going to get gas prices to come down? And and how much is legacy airlines spending on jet fuel? How yeah. much are all the legacy airlines spending on jet fuel? How is that going to translate into yeah. a thirty a thirty or something thirty um, percent increase in ticket prices? And at what Their point third largest is that?
2: consumer of petroleum gas?
1: Right, the and at some legacy. point. I think that it's – and only because of the pandemic, I think you have the the radical shift in nobody flying to huge amounts of people flying, yeah. whereas all of a sudden because of now, again, a global phenomenon that's not aviation that's driven up fuel prices is going to actually pull that back because they're going to need to charge 30% more for a ticket. And people just aren't going to have the money because they're trying to buy infant formula or because they're trying to put gas in their car just so they can go to work. Yeah where yeah. their wage isn't keeping up with anything and i right. think that on a huge you know massive Global scale, scale. I think, right i think that you're going to actually have a reduction in flying because of that which could right-size things which is going to then push all of this national seniority yeah. list and you know off into the future again because yeah. that's just the world
2: yeah well let's hope you're wrong <laughs>
1: <laughs> like the wrong point. Point. i hope that i'm wrong I'm but i think that from a realistic i do hope i'm yeah. wrong but i think from a yeah. realistic standpoint you look at the world right now and it's I mean, at least for me not job related or anything but it, it's pretty messed up out there yeah yeah sure there's is. a well, lot yeah. of messed up things going on in the world that have nothing to do with flying an airplane
2: i know yeah. and it, it's, it's all
0: it's all interconnected. Unfortunately, it it, that's the way yeah. the the world works. It's all interconnected. I think that uh, you know, Roger, you're absolutely right, Rob. That would be fantastic. We've been talking about a national seniority list since I was getting my private pilot, and we were talking
2: about that. I mean, I, like, I don't mean like that? a national, but just like a you know, between company the wholly owned and more company. Balanced, yeah. you know, a more balanced. You come balanced here, you start here, and then you work your way up, right?
3: Well, and, and to Rob's point, that's one of the things that we've been talking about. You know, obviously in the schoolhouse and, and union stuff and everything is like. That's one of our our hard points right now as flowing is, okay, cool, we're going to get a seniority number, but we're going to get a seniority the day we flow, right? Why not give us a little bit more incentive, like the day you put on captain, you know, is the day that you catch a seniority number over at American and you build your seniority over there. It, it, It You know, something like that, There you know, to merge the seniority list, you know, to get somebody... From yeah. like my, I'm working for legacy airlines right now, regardless of if it's a, a holy or not my, my email, my everything is at legacy.com. My badges are legacy airline badges. Yeah. You know, yeah. like I'm working for legacy airlines. Mm-hmm. So why can't I get a seniority number
1: over at legacy? And that's to, to. Yeah. Which that been... goes to my point that I asked Tony about the other day is like, why don't, I mean in, 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 this is all legacy airlines at this point right like put it all together make it all legacy airlines the reason we're
2: we're we're talking about the age old (laughs) debate in our industry and in our company it's something that but i i do you know being in the situation we're in now i think there's there's a shift there's a huge shift going on um you know what's going to happen i think we all I think that's don't what even we'll know, see. have a clue what's going to happen, but yeah, it's, there's, yeah. A, it's a major shift. I could, you can, I could just sense it right now. It just, it's, this is different. This yeah. is different than even bankruptcies and all that other stuff. This is different. Yeah. There's and I think Rob, on. what
0: you were saying earlier with this, you know, the seniority list and stuff, I think what we've been talking about over the years is that the regional airline structure cannot continue the way it is. And, you know, we were, we've all kind of hinted towards it. I think that it would make more sense now to merge regional wholly owned carriers with the main line so that when you got a job, you started off on the little jet, on the pay scale at Legacy Airlines with all the Legacy benefits, and then you work your way up with your seniority to bigger and better opportunities, bigger and better opportunities in terms of bases and aircraft and and moving up at your own pace if you want to, because it just makes more fiscal sense to put us all together. Yeah. Now, in the past, it wasn't
2: happening. That's why I'm saying it, it would make more sense if you did that to have one pay scale.
4: Yeah.
2: You have FO pay scale, captain pay scale. We have anything from the ERJ 145 all the way up to Boeing 787 777. You bid accordingly. Right. That's all it is.
0: Whatever your seniority can hold. You know,
2: Mm-hmm. If and you, you want go, to fly I mean, from
0: here to
1: job about how that would make that
2: four hundred dollars an hour in r j that's what you're gonna do oh spirit
1: what would... would spirit and frontier who would they hire i mean if from a yeah. corporate standpoint how how do you, how would spirit and frontier compete with that because then they're faced with i mean i guess alex was saying that they're hiring them at fifteen hundred hours, but if i'm at fifteen hundred hours and i have a chance that i can go to you know, something that's a whole, you know, part of the legacy airlines or is legacy airlines at this point, who's going to want to go to spirit or frontier. Right. But that's what I'm
2: saying. This is a part of a change. This is totally part of a change. So now instead of hiring on, you know, so now the, the basics are 1500 hours ATP. And I know there's exceptions with restricted and all that stuff, but now it's, you know, is it a cultural thing? How, how do you hire somebody? You have the basics, you need bodies you're probably going to throw away the cultural thing and say, we just need bodies to fill the seats and we'll weed out the cultural things as I do, or they'll work itself out naturally. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm very excited to see what develops here. Um, Hopefully in the months ahead, we'll have more breaking news about the industry and about our carriers and your carriers and all those other carriers out there. Um, So, yeah, I mean, we could go on and on. With this, and yeah. you know, and it's tough, Rob, I think you really hit the nail on the head because the culture has always been you know those the regional guys, those aren't real pilots, you know and and, and yeah. if when at the time a m r was putting together these commuter puddle jumpers and right. and merging into what they now call regional airlines when they were doing that, if the former military jet pilots that were in charge of uh, you know, the, the main line carrier, and those were real pilots, you know? If those guys would say, hey, those guys, you want them to fly our flag? You want them to fly our colors? They're one of us. Put them on our pay scale. Introduce a lower pay scale yeah. for the lower, the lower, smaller airplanes. And this whole structure would have been completely different. But... It was a very culture of he and she and them and they and, and just we were the redheaded stepchildren for the longest when we were working for oh, St. they could
1: get away with it because it was so much of a lower cost. That's really what it came down to is yeah. when you can pay $20,000 a year for a new hire pilot, yeah. I mean, it, it saved them a whole lot of money at the time. Yeah. But just kind of yeah. like what Rob did it originally, it, it's unsustainable at this point. Even if we have this, you know, you know, a global recession, I still don't think this model, that model is going to be sustainable because there's not people to support it. There's not the personnel to support it.
0: Right. You'd have to raise yeah. ticket prices exponentially. Uh, you have to raise them by Which 50%. The normal,
1: the normal people can't do, especially because like the people that are flying, you know, that are flying the regionals. Those are smaller town people. Mm-hmm. Small town people don't can't, they can't afford a thousand dollar round trip ticket to go from their home in Kalamazoo to go visit. You know, grandma and.
0: So you're telling me they can beet? afford the $6 a gallon gas instead? Is that what you're saying?
1: Uh, compared to a air, $1,000 airline ticket, all my money's going to my I don't gas know.
0: Tank. I don't know. $100 yeah. a gallon or $100 a uh, tank for me
2: right now.
1: It's still cheaper than a $1,000 airplane
2: ticket. Yeah. Well, yeah. If I go put smaller, gas in my boat right now, it's going to be $100. Bucks. Oh my God. Those
1: smaller towns, those people that live in some of these smaller towns where the regionals offer for service to, I don't think, I think you are going to have a hard time supporting the ticket right. prices in order to then pay the regional yeah. airlines as much as,
2: you yeah. know, as much well, as I the know.
1: premium pay for that.
2: And then and, and what's going to happen at this point is if they can't fill the seats at that price, they're just going to stop service. And now you're going to have to, the, the yeah. government's going to have to incentivize, incentivize the, the airline to fly into there you know it's, it's a cycle yeah. it's, a, it's a vicious cycle Yeah. so we'll, we'll just have on to and wait on and see this all for a while Yeah. <laughs> well I,
0: thank you so much gentlemen for this uh, conversation we've been at it a little more than I thought we were talking yeah. about this it was a good conversation that was a good one absolutely um, yeah. I just wanted to end the show with something very special to me This particular sequence I'm on right now started yesterday. And uh, it was an Ontario to Dallas flight that was kicking off the sequence. And then from Dallas, we swapped airplanes and then we flew to Miami last night. What really struck me was it was the first time I was able to participate in what we here at Legacy Airlines call an honor flight. Uh, I met with the captain before uh, sign in time. At Ontario Airport it's a relatively small airport and there's a little area where flight crews is kind of quiet and flight crews uh, stay away from the gate and they hang out because there isn't really like a crew room or anything like that there they have an operations but uh, not something that uh, we can easily access so we're hanging out in the hallway and the captain gets an, a phone call from a dispatch from SOC uh, systems operation control to be exact And he says, hey, Captain, I'm sending you an email. Uh, Just want to let you know, you're going to have what they called MR on your flight, military remains. And I'm going to send you an email on the instructions on what to do for that. And he immediately pulled up the email on his tablet and shared it with me. and, And I was honored immediately. Um, You know, we show up to work every day. We don't really think about it. We just kind of do our job. And you know, once you get comfortable and confident about your job, you just show up and you do your thing. And and then you get an email right before the flight, saying that hey, you're you're going to be a a part of something very special. Um, So we both like dove into the procedures that we had to go through, uh, very specific. And you want to do it justice because it's a big deal. Uh, Went out to the ramp when the airplane came in. And everybody was out there. The fire department, all of them, out there, uh, in attention. The police department in full dress uniform. Uh, The they had the escort, the uh, U.S. Army military escort, who escorts the the fallen soldier. Uh, And then they had a liaison, and she coordinated the procedures. She was the one taking all the the photographs for the families. Um, and we did, really didn't know anything about the soldier, uh, other than we had the name from the manifest, uh, we had the name of the escort from the manifest, and that's all we really knew. This is the first time I participated in something like this. It was actually the first time that my captain participated in this as well. Um, and so we reviewed the procedure that we were supposed to go through. Uh, and. I had to remain in the cockpit. Uh, the noise level had to be at a minimum. So we had to make sure that the aircraft had ground power and had preconditioned air. Uh, so the APU had to be shut off. Uh, the noise had to be kept to a minimum. And all movement around the aircraft had to be halted during the ceremony of bringing the soldier, the fallen soldier, on board the aircraft. And the cargo hold. Um, I was able to witness it. It was very moving. I uh, saw the procedures with the flag, the passing of the flag, um, and then they brought the escort up into the flight deck during pre boarding with the captain and the liaison. And we all introduced each other. Uh, they took some photos for the family uh, from the flight deck with the flag and then they had asked me, the liaison asked me, um, is it okay if the flag rides on the flight deck so that our escort doesn't have to sit there and you know hold the flag throughout the flight? And I said, it would be an honor. I will secure the flag into our cockpit jump seat and we'll make sure it gets there safely. She said, this flag is, is very important because this is going to end up being the flag for the unit, representing the unit. And I mean it hit me like a ton of bricks so I took the flag and I I carefully inspected the jump seat in the cockpit I made sure that it was clean the seat belts were arranged completely straight I placed the flag there and we secured it in a five-point harness uh, my captain watched me do it and the liaison watched me do it and the escort watched me do it and they paid me one of the biggest compliments I think I ever got and they said you handled that flag with such respect thank you
2: all nice. right sorry guys Ah, yeah, it's emotional dude it's awesome oh, man don't
3: don't worry about it like it's I know Rob and I can speak from this that like for for our brothers from the military side that like it's what you did was incredible so, thank you. Yep,
0: yeah. So we we, you know, we we took the flag to Dallas, and when we arrived, there were some procedures that we had to follow. Um, we had to call in range. We had to make sure that the Honor Guard was available. Um, same kind of procedures when offloading uh, the military remains uh, of our soldier. And the captain had to escort um, the... Escort the U.S. Army escort down onto the ramp, and he had some some choice words that the company has you uh, read to the escort uh, on behalf of Legacy Airlines. And as we pulled into the gate, seeing all those uh, honor guard retired veterans sitting there in full uniform with all the flags and everything, was very emotional. And the captain. After the ceremony was complete, he came up back into the flight deck. And I noticed he he wasn't saying much at all. And it kind of, I was just packing up the airplane and, you know, we were getting everything ready to go to our next, our next flight. And and I just sat there with him for a few minutes and finally I said, "Are, are you okay? And he looked at me and he, like just now, I'm fighting back tears thinking about it. And he was too. He said, man, that that is something that really hits you. So I did my diligence, and I wanted to talk about it today, and I I looked it up, and it turns out that we were transporting uh, a very young man with a promising future ahead of him whose life tragically came to an end uh, due to a a motorcycle accident in California. Uh, And I'll put a link in the show notes that talks about it um, but the, it's entitled uh, from Yahoo News on an article that came out on June seventh. Uh, Rest in peace, G. Weaver. Community mourns the passing of former star athlete Giovanni Mosley. Uh, he long before Giovanni Mosley took his first strides at Weaver High School varsity as a varsity athlete, the then sixth grader took a flying leap into gravel to score a touchdown to win a football game in P.E. class. He was picking rocks out of his leg, said uh, Gary Atchley Mosley's then teacher and now Weaver's head football coach. The kid was just a fantastic athlete, a star player, and he unfortunately got into this motorcycle accident that ended the life of this 23-year-old. And He was an honorable mention selection to the Stars All-Decade Team for 2000 to present as a linebacker. The Stars selected All-Decade Teams in 2017. Mosley made the All-Country Track Team multiple times, helping Weaver mount a runner-up state finish as a senior in 2017 as well. After he missed most of the football season and basketball season with a torn ACL, doctors cleared him to participate in Track the Week of the sectional meet with weaver in second place at state mosley ran the final leg of the four by 100 meter relay and outran the leader to win the race wow hamby called the feat the best thing he had did that i've ever seen in my life by that point mosley was about to burst he cried during football games he had to miss Come spring, he begged the then-Weaver track coach, Marcus Herbert, to participate. Mosley was limping at the state track meet. I'll never forget it, Hambly said. Maurice Goodman is handing him off for the last leg, and he's behind this guy, probably about five yards. What he did when he passed him, it gives me chill bumps when I think about it. It was unreal to see that athlete and how much he wanted to do it for the community of Weber and his teammates and this guy just sounds like just a fantastic individual uh whose life ended way too early and i'm just so honored to have been a part of bringing him home
2: well that's awesome dude that's a memorable moment for most people um you know it's 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 really special to be able to uh you know be a part of that ceremony and um, very humbling, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's something that uh, when you witness for the first time, it just hits you right in the feels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I've been, I've been around, uh, uh, gate C1 when they, when they bring in, you know, the, or C2, yeah. When they bring in the fallen and, uh, you know, and I happened to be just like kind of walking on that connector between the Charlie terminal and the alpha terminal and Mm -hmm. I know what's going on and you know so I stop and pay my respects and some passengers are like oh what's this a
3: parade
2: you know they're they they're clueless and that's fine because you know they've never seen it before but then when they stop and they realize you know they stop and watch and then they realize they're like oh dear you know this is that's a that's a you know soldier and uh it's it's pretty neat to watch the emotion you know uh and people's raw emotion you know I celebrate the uh the life or you know the watch the customs and the courtesies that the military and obviously the airline uh, partakes into it into the whole occasion it's pretty special it is very
0: and yeah i just want to say it was a complete honor uh to be a part of that uh thank you gentlemen for for taking the time to listen to that story um and that experience it's still very moving to me and i i feel blessed this
2: is just the only way to Yeah. To explain it. Yeah. That's awesome. You were able to experience that and take part of it and definitely honor the fallen the way you did. You did good. You did good for the company and the country. Proud of you.
3: From from a service member's point of view. uh, Thank you, you know, obviously for being a part of that and uh, thank you for taking care of our fallen brother. You know, it's, it's. uh,
0: And thank you. I mean, I, I just, what you guys do out there, for all those uh, who have served, who are actively serving right now, uh, thank you for all that you do. Um, I am part of a military family, as I think all of us have, uh, in one way or another, a connection to that. Uh, thank you, gentlemen, for those of you who have served with us, uh, Rob and Alex. Um, you guys are an inspiration to me, and uh, and thank you to all those that we've had on the show that are serving or have served. A you know, With 4th of July coming up, and with everything that's happening in the world, I think it's important to take a moment out, especially with the young children and family, and have them at least experience uh, what the importance of our freedom uh, relies on, and it relies on the dedicated few that volunteer to give us these freedoms at home. Also, well, Uh, I just want to say thank you to Captain Roger, Rob D., and Alex D. for joining us today. Please help us out by sharing this podcast online and with your friends. Be sure to subscribe or follow to the Squawk Ident podcast on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. We also love receiving listener feedback. You can send us emails or even audio feedback via our website at www.aviatortony.com. You can also contribute financially to the program right there from our homepage. Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram users can find us under Squawk Ident Podcast and Aviator Tony and Squawk Ident. And one final thank you to all of you for taking the time to listen to these grateful aviators. Keep the dirty side down out there, be safe, and take care of each other. Bye, y'all. See, See
2: ya. ya. Bye Later. ciao. That was a good one, fellas. Nice job.